This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Hope you're doing well. Happy, uh, what is it, Wednesday to you. And got a great show for you lined up. We're going to be talking about internet companies, how they've cornered the culture and undermined democracy. So says some. Allegedly. Kind of sounds a little negative, but uh, are these big, huge, mega tech companies looking out for your best interest? And why is it that all of these countries in Europe and Asia are – these countries are starting to sue these companies for – Monopoly practices for security issues. In Europe, uh, the EU has sued Google Yeah, for, well, Alphabet, but that's their parent company. Uh, so Google, because you go to their search engine and say you're looking to uh, find uh, some air flight yeah. information. So just, travel. You just want some travel information. And, you know, there's all these travel sites. You Thousands of sites. Travelocity, you got Expedia, yeah. Travago, all these different sites. And what pops up first every time? Google Travel. Isn't that the weirdest thing? Yeah. Like, I wasn't that even work? searching for Google Travel. And it may not even be the best option, but because right. and, and they try to say it's like it, this organically happens with the search algorithm. And really? Like, every time you pop up first. Well, when, and they found that they're trying to push people to their sites instead of like instead well, of when eighty percent of ad revenue goes through your company. It would make it so Google pops up first at everything. Their response is there's other search engines. You can, you can go search what hey, you go want. go Bing it. Go use yeah. Bing. And But they're like, no, no one does that. People use Google. So, yeah. And it's the same kind of argument that Microsoft had back in the 90s, I believe, when yeah. all computers shipped with Microsoft Explorer. Right, and that was pushing out Netscape that, or whatever. That's their browser, right? Mm-hmm. Microsoft Explorer. So when you hopped on there... It was killing every other browser in the market. I mean, what about AOL? That that one browser we could never get uninstalled. Right. It was there always. Because once it was in your system, it was going to be a part of your life forever. What about that? So we'll be talking with uh, an expert on the subject. And um, and really, should we – is it time to kind of tear these, these big, huge tech companies, Googles, Facebooks, Amazon – is it time to break them down into smaller pieces? We'll get into that. Interesting subject straight ahead. Plus, by the way, we're celebrating Ice Cream Sandwich Day. Ice cream sandwiches. Jeff put a song together. Is this you singing? This is great. Ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> A great point. Great mm. point. Today's the day you do not <laughs> want to leave your ice cream sandwiches out. Mm. So, uh, happy ice cream sandwich day. There are pictures from the 1900s of people eating um, ice cream sandwiches just and paying only one penny to do so. What happened to that inflation? I went to a wedding. And now they serve handmade ice cream cookie sandwiches. Yeah. So you pick your cookie. They're hand scooped. 
Yes, they are. Yeah. And you get to pick your ice cream, and I think I went in, got in line like three times. So different cookies? Oh yeah, oh, nice. I tried everything. Are these the ones that are served by a butler who's wearing white gloves and a tuxedo? Kind of served to you on a platter. Yeah, minus the butler and the tuxedo and the gloves. Hmm. So it's pretty much the same. It's just some kid. Hey, sir, what would you like on your ice cream Sunday? So you get some macadamia nut cookies. Mmm. And then yeah. what ice cream? Some hazelnut. No, or? I got. Um, I got because can't peach just be sh- ice cream. Yeah, it's got to be like peach. With peach snickerdoodle, with snickerdoodle cookies. Hmm. Oh, it was so good. It was a dough fest. That's what my wife said every time she grabbed my belly. It's a dough fest. Could, could you get the cookies <laughs> with cookie dough ice cream? Yeah, I bet. Mm. It was a great night. One of my favorite weddings I've been to in a long time. <laughs> and you don't like weddings. And the funny thing is I don't even remember whose wedding it was. That's not important. That, yeah. Mm. But I do remember peach ice cream with snickerdoodles. Mm, 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 mm. But I, I wouldn't mind a little chocolate between two peanut butter cookies. Oh, yeah. Ooh. You can make these at home, by the way. Come again? You just go buy some Oreos and some ice cream, and there you go. Really? Yeah, just have an Oreo cookie. Well, then it would have to be peanut butter ice cream in an Oreo. Yeah, whichever way you want to mix it up. Oh, peanut butter ice cream. You know what sounds really good today? Root beer ice cream. Go to Flay and Flubble You. Yeah. Yeah. Flay and Flubble Brew. Or a grocery store. I love root beer ice cream. Ever since, you know, I was a pup. We got all that straight ahead. We'll get to uh, the internet uh, companies messing up the world, <laughs> allegedly. We'll get to uh, more celebration of Ice Cream Day, plus other headlines, other information you didn't even know you needed to know. Apparently, President Trump wrote his son's. He consulted on it. Wrong. He, he advised. He advised. Wrong. No, no, no one's pointing out that it was. Wholly incorrect, and his lawyer went on like five different Sunday morning shows saying that President Trump had no knowledge of any of this. But that's fine. But I mean, yeah. But sometimes the lo- the lawyer is the last to know. Apparently. Did he did he include the uh, the downtown New York doodle at the bottom? No, but that was worth ten grand. It was good times, good times. We'll get to all that fun, but first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what do we need to be paying attention to? Authorities say the 24-year-old Brady Kilpatrick was taken down by a team of law enforcement officials at a home in Martin County, Florida. Shortly after 7 p.m. Tuesday night, Kilpatrick had no idea a team of law enforcement uh, was surrounding the community where he was trying to hide out. He uh, He's one of the guys that broke out of jail in Alabama with oh, the yeah. peanut butter. Peanut butter Talk about that yeah. story? Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, earlier an Alabama sheriff said the dozen inmates escaped from his county jail by covering up the numbers, identifying an outside door with peanut butter, and persuaded a new jail employee to watch them on a closed-circuit TV to open from his control booth. He said, yeah, it sounds kind of funny, but it happened. It totally happened. We Was he the it. last one? Yeah, he's the last yeah. one. Ah. So all 12 have been returned back to safekeeping in Alabama. Apparently, apparently you can get out of jail with peanut butter in Alabama. So, Man, that's where I'd want to go to jail. I love peanut butter. Keep that in mind. Uh, Apple's earnings climbed 12% to $8.7 billion in the company's latest quarter amid rising demands for iPhones, while the iPad snapped out of a three-and-a-half-year sales slump. Revenue incre- everyone's replacing right. after three-and-a-half years. You have to replace your iPad, right? So right. you got to get a new one. Um, so revenue increased 7% from last year to $45 billion. 
September yeah. will range. They said September. They, they this next quarter because they may release a new phone will range from forty nine billion to fifty two billion. They're not you know it's kind of a guess. Give you a ten billion range there to. By the way, they have like two hundred and sixty billion dollars cash on hand. That's right. right. Well, just sitting in banks in Ireland. Yeah, where they oh, where they're incorporated. If only we could get that money back in America. <laughs> Was it you that said that they're not doing any more uh, shuffles? Not yeah, the yeah. shuffle and the nano are gone. gone. Just, if you need something Damn. that's just playing music, you have to get an iPod Touch, which is mm. 250 bucks, I think. That's a tough touch. One interesting fact out of the quarterly <laughs> earnings for Apple, they have sold 1.2 billion iPhones since launching the device a decade ago. 1.2 billion. 1.2 billion. By the way, there's like, what, 7 billion people on the earth? 7.5 billion? Yeah. They're not even touching it. Come on. No, keep working. Pick up your game. Talking to yourself doesn't mean you're crazy. In fact, the habit might be downright smart. That's a takeaway from a new study in Scientific Reports, which involves two separate experiments. In the first, researchers at Michigan State University and and the University of Michigan monitored the brain activity of 29 students who were asked to review neutral and disturbing images and talk about how they felt while referring to themselves in the first and third persons. Okay. Right? Simultaneously? Uh, Probably, yeah, (laughs) separately. In the second, researchers asked 50 participants to internally reflect on painful experiences in the same way, first and third person. In both cases, third person self-talk allowed participants to better regulate their emotions to relieve stress. It kind of switches you into a different mode of experiencing negative emotions when you use your name rather than the word I. Well, that's why Trump's so successful then. Because he, doesn't, talks, he talks yeah. about himself all the time that way. Donald J. Trump, as he says. Yes. That's interesting. So uh, it, it may, you're not crazy. You're just, you actually may be healthy pumping yourself yeah. up. They're saying it's therapeutic and it takes you out of the situation. So if you have a something negative, something depressing, and you say, you know, your name rather than referring to yourself when you talk to yourself, right? Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Yeah, you're able to kind of step out of it and look at it as if it's not you. Plus, it helps, you know, drown out the hundreds of other voices that are in your head telling you to do things that you don't really want to do in the yeah. first place. Walk into the street. <laughs> don't do that one. Walk into the street. And finally, if you're looking for a job. Yeah. Today's your day. What? Amazon earlier this year announced hiring 5,000 people, letting them all work from home. Why? Because they needed people to work the phones, right? Yeah. Well, today they're going – on today, Wednesday. Today. 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 today, August 2nd, they will hire 50,000 people. 50 or 5,000? 50. So we get to work for Amazon and stay at home? No. The 5,000 was earlier this year, oh. and those were mostly working in phones, <laughs> customer service, that kind of thing. Today, 50,000 people to work in warehouses. People are mad. They have 13 fulfillment centers around the country, and they need, they need people. They need bodies to help, uh, help you get your you know, doohickey this, from this Amazon. This isn't even... For see, this isn't even seasonal. This no. is just because these are real jobs. They're hard work. They require some manual labor and some difficult conditions. Uh, some of the buildings are, you know, they're warehouses. It's yeah. going to get hot. It's going to get hot. It's you're going to sweat. You're not going to get rich, but the pay will be between maybe like eleven dollars an hour to twenty dollars an hour, depending. And you will get the company five percent discount. There's some managerial type jobs as you work. Your yeah, you'll work your, 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 your way up in the teams. Sweat I mean, shop. there's. <laughs> 
Well, that is kind of a sweatshop. Uh, so, but there's full and part-time jobs that offer medical benefits and tuition reimbursement. Uh, so, I mean, they're, they're real jobs. And it says, uh, this is the part that's interesting. 50,000 jobs, right? In June, the entire United States economy added 222,000 jobs. Unbelievable. Right? So their one-day total will be almost a quarter of the amount that was hired in June. Boy. And the retail industry, they're just shedding jobs like crazy. Every, you know, people yeah, yeah. are shutting down you, uh, stores and locations, people are losing jobs. They're going to add 50,000 jobs in Well, it's day. pretty much, it seems like everybody from uh, Sears, Kmart, and Macy's mm-hmm. ought to just head over to Amazon. Head on over. I've been shedding like crazy, too. <clears throat> no, but that's sloughing. We call that sloughing. That's okay. your leg just slowly sloughing into nothingness. Yeah. That's different. So, it, and, and just with retail in itself, it, it, this shows how it's changing from walk into a store. Yeah. Sir, would you like socks with that pair of shoes you just purchased? Now it's online, and those jobs where you would do customer service face-to-face, it's now more of a fulfillment center type yeah, situation now you're not, for retail. No one's talking to the customer, really, except some little icon. Right. On the computer. But do you need someone to offer you socks? Yeah. Do you need some? I, went I, into need, a, I always need the upsell. Several years ago, I walked into a store, sat down to try. You know, I, I found a pair of shoes and sat down. All of a sudden, the person ran over, grabbed the shoes, and started putting on my foot. Whoa. Really? And I'm like, whoa, what's happening? He goes, that's what we do here. We That guy didn't even work there, did he? No, he did. And it was just, it was that type of store. That's embarrassing when they just and, grab your leg. And, and I don't start... shop at stores where they help you with your feet. That just. Don't you find that an awkward moment? Like, what are you Maybe doing? Maybe we don't have those even anymore, where you sit down and the guy used to sit on that funny little chair with the foot mm-hmm. place where you put your foot, and then he just, mine would always like massage my calf. He'd help you with the, the fitting, as they mm-hmm. call it. The fitting. Mine would always put the socks on his hands and start doing sock puppets. Yeah, yours was different. Yeah. Your guy was different. He was good, though. He oh, was the yeah. best. I like how he always looked you in the eye. Always, was, you always yeah. want your shoe salesman to look you in the eye. So in light of our next guest, should we should is that a good thing or is it is it concerning that a company can just all of a sudden say, "Hey, we're going to hire 50,000 people." Well, I guess it's good except um what happens, I mean, where are all the other jobs? Right? Like what do you mean the other jobs? Well, that's one company. Yeah. 50,000 jobs. Meanwhile, other companies losing jobs like crazy. So many would argue this is kind of a monopoly. There's something going on where no one else is growing, everyone else is shrinking, but one company dominates an entire area. And there is no other company online really, is there, like Amazon? No. Even Walmart can't compete necessarily with Amazon. They're trying, not on the you know, they're yeah. having they're they're having to ramp up to that. There is a company called Alibaba and oh, it's yeah. in China. China China. And Alibaba. it's a different kind of operation there, but uh, and it doesn't really have much traction here yeah. in the US. Did you hear the uh the owner of the founder of Costco died? <gasps> really? Yeah. I mean it'll still be open. It's oh. okay. The company's in good hands. Yeah. You You're can... fine that way. But the co founder and chairman of Costco passed away. How old was he? A 74 years old, Jeff wow. Brotman has died. He has served as the chairman of the company since 1994. It's with great sadness that they announce uh, the, the passing of this great man. Hmm. Anyway, so, which is interesting because do, have you ever seen like in the, man, in the on-site, online Costco, you can buy caskets, you can buy oh, yeah. everything you need. Really? Yeah. So it makes you wonder, like, is he doing his entire 
funeral through Costco. Hmm. Is he going to have the party tray? They have cold cuts. <laughs> Just as long as it's not the in-between coupon period, that's the most awkward period going to yeah. Costco when there's nothing on sale. Yeah. You look around and you're confused. You don't know right. what store you're in. Best, By the way, best produce ever. If you buy the casket, don't like it, can you return it? Oh, for sure. They have the they'll, most they'll amazing. They'll take everything back. Yeah, they've got a great return policy. Do you have to walk it in the store? That'd yeah, be that's kind of the weird. weird thing. Well, they have those big carts that you could okay, put them on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of it would be hanging off the edge, but <laughs> yeah, that's. But if there's no body in it, then and like, is it one of those things where you do you buy two or three and then you take them home and then oh, yeah. you see which one you like? You do yeah. it with shoes. You do it with clothing. You can do it with a casket. I mean, and do you do? I guess you, you look for colors. You look for the squeaking squeakiness. Oh, is there squeakiness yeah. Yeah, involved? Well, I would. I look. I always check the seal. You want a well-oiled hinge. Yeah. Anyways, that's too bad. May he rest in peace. It's pretty cool. Uh, and what I mean, really, you build an empire, and then everybody knows about you so much so that your empire now people are announcing your death on a radio show. That's that's you've made it. By the way, I think that's Don Shaline running frantically down the stairs in our direction right now. Oh, is he? Is he? Yeah, he's probably got some stuff to tell us. Um, anyway. May he rest in peace. Seriously, that's cool. I mean, not cool that he died, but cool that he made such a huge impact. Just starting a warehouse store. Pretty powerful. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to take on uh, this question a little bit. The Internet companies, are they cornering the culture? Are they cornering our democracy? Are they lifting our democracy? Or are they creating issues? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, sort through all the crazy stuff of life. If you got up this morning, around 61% of you checked your phone for notifications within five minutes of getting up. Oh, that's just sad, isn't it? Just how social media and online platforms are slowly taking control of our lives. They're also taking control of the market and of our government. Could huge tech companies such as Google, Facebook, and Amazon be uh, contributors or even maybe possibly drivers for America's ailing economy? Here to speak with us today is Jonathan Taplin, the author of Move Fast and Break Things, How Google, Facebook, and Amazon Cornered Culture and Undermined Democracy. Uh, Jonathan Taplin is the Director Emeritus of the Annenberg Innovation Lab at the University of Southern California, and his areas, uh, he taps, uh, Taplin's areas of specialization are in international communication management and the field of digital media entertainment. Jonathan, thank you so much for being with us today. Good to be with you, Matt. Do you really believe um, that these big companies, these big tech giants are, uh, I mean, a lot of people just kind of automatically assume they're positive, right? It's Facebook, for heaven's sakes, Jonathan. We're connecting the world, but you you seem to have a little bit uh, more cynical view of it. Well, look, the internet was originally conceived as a very decentralized medium, but in the late 80s, the people who run Google and Amazon and eventually when Facebook came on had a very different view, which was that the Internet would be a winner-takes-all business, that there would be one search engine, there would be one e-commerce 
giant and there would be one social media giant. And, and not only did they all agree that they would each take their own space in that world, but the growth of these companies in the last 10 years has been astronomical. If you look at the largest companies in the world 10 years ago, there was only one tech company in that group, which was Microsoft. Hmm. Uh, the rest were companies like Citibank or General Electric or, uh, you know, ExxonMobil. And today, it's all tech. I mean, the largest company in the world is Apple, and the second largest is Google, and then Amazon, and then Facebook, and then Microsoft. So, so beyond that, what you have to ask is, um, what happened to the creative community when this rise came up. So if you're a musician or you're a journalist, your livelihood has been pretty much decimated by the rise of these great platforms. Um, you know, there are 50% fewer people working in journalism today than there were uh, 10 years ago. Uh, the revenues of the music business have fallen by 78% in the last 10 years. And that's directly attributable to the power of a comp of, of uh, platform like YouTube. So, you know, no musician can keep his tunes off of YouTube. YouTube says to the music business, your content is going to be on YouTube whether you want it to or not. So the only question you have to ask is, uh, do I want a little advertising money or not? And when I said a little, I mean really a little. Hmm. If you had a million downloads on iTunes, you, for a song, you could make $900,000. If you have a million streams on YouTube, you can make $900. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a different game, isn't it? And Google, for example, uh, Google owns the Alphabet, the company Alphabet, and um, they – boy, they're getting into everything. And we, we were talking earlier about – how uh, Apple has like what two hundred and sixty billion dollars of cash on hand, just ready to buy whatever I guess competitor, whatever uh, you know anybody or anything. Jeff Bezos is now you know playing with uh, um, Bill Gates as being the richest man in the world. I mean, I guess all of the signs are there. And is it? And then we see Europe. Uh, Europe is suing. Um, and um, and suing these big com some of these big companies for some you know safety or some security issues, some copyright infringe or uh, um, other uh, what are they called um, monopoly type of practices. I mean, is it time? That, do you suggest that it's time that we maybe break some of these up, make them you know make them more competitive? Well, look, um, what the Europeans did, which was say that. Google is biasing its search results to benefit its own services, whether it's restaurant recommendations or travel recommendations or anything over those of uh, a company like Yelp or something else, is a rational thing to do. And in fact, the U.S. was going to do the same thing, except the politicians under the Obama administration, you know, decided to protect Google rather than to prosecute it. So, I mean, I do believe that antitrust may be one of the remedies, but there are also other things that are coming before that. So the Europeans have also passed a very large privacy restriction, which goes into effect next May, called the GDPR. Uh, and, and essentially what it says is the, um, the basic 
situation is that you no longer opted in to giving these services um, all of your data by default. You have to actively say, yes, I want them to get my data. And that will be a huge change in the business model for these companies. And if that same privacy restriction came to the United States, that would be a big change as well. Um, so there's no doubt that things are changing. We have to remember these companies were built by acquisition. Here's, you know, Amazon's about to buy Whole Foods. Uh, Amazon bought Twitch. Amazon bought Alexa. Amazon bought many, many companies, mm. Zappos. Uh, Google bought YouTube. Google bought DoubleClick. Uh, Facebook bought Instagram. Facebook bought WhatsApp. So, I mean, the question then becomes, do you first say, okay, they can't buy any more companies, they can't get any bigger? The second step might be to say, yeah, you have to break them up. And that has been done in the past. Um, you know, I would argue that antitrust has actually led to a great deal of innovation. And we have to remember that in the 1950s, AT&T was the complete monopoly phone company, and the government sued them and got a consent decree in which AT&T had to share all of its intellectual property for free from Bell Labs to any other company in America. And that meant the transistor, the satellite, the semiconductor, the laser, all of the foundational technologies of the digital age then became free for companies, new companies like Texas Instruments and Motorola and Fairchild Semiconductor and Intel and so that was the first explosion. And then the government went after IBM in the 70s and said this idea that you can control both the, the hardware and the software is wrong. And although it took 13 years, IBM eventually, uh, you know, let go of controlling both the software and the hardware. And when they built the personal computer, they let two young guys named Bill Gates and Paul Allen hmm. build the software, and we all know where that went. Yeah. And finally, you remember the government sued Microsoft 20 years ago because Microsoft wanted you to have to use Internet Explorer if you use Windows. And that would have prevented Google from growing, and, and the gov government won that case, and the rest is history. So... My argument is that antitrust often leads to new innovations. So not to be afraid of it, but see it as a see it as another opportunity. I mean, and, and you've you've uh, somewhere I in all of the reading I did for uh, to prepare for you. I there's the whole story of Facebook and Snapchat. I mean, the, there's not yeah. necessarily equal. Uh, I mean, the, the, Facebook's kind of now known for going in and, and borrowing, taking copying certain things Snapchat's doing. So instead of buying Snapchat up um, and, and owning them, they just kind of slowly went and copied them. Well, actually what happened was that Facebook offered to buy Snapchat for $3 billion. And the young entrepreneurs at Snapchat said, no, we want to stay independent. And, of course, that was a mistake. Mm -hmm. um, you know, once Facebook was spurned, they then went in and they basically ripped off every element of Snapchat stories. And now they didn't even change the name. Now it's called Instagram stories or Facebook stories or 
uh, WhatsApp stories, and and they they took the whole idea of Snapchat stories that you could draw on the screen and everything, and you know just ripped it off. And of course, that has stalled Snapchat's growth radically. Snapchat went public at twenty eight dollars a share, and today its stock is at thirteen. Oh yeah. So I mean, it's not. You know, these guys don't play fair. They they play hardball, and uh, that's what monopolies do. Well, and today again we were talking about the fact that 50,000 jobs by Amazon were announced today. They're hiring 50,000 people for warehouses. And, and but meanwhile, you see all of these other malls closing down, all of these other uh, jobs being lost. Um, so – in in a way, there's there's data. The data's there. There's only certain companies growing. There's certain companies dominating. So in the end, uh, I guess breaking them down is one way to handle it. What are some other things that that maybe might be some solutions to uh, to spread the joy a bit? Well, look, if if you think about just the simple thing of of the music business, if musicians could say to YouTube. Uh, it's called Take Down, Stay Down. Musicians say, I don't want my song on YouTube. And then it becomes YouTube's responsibility to keep it off the platform. And, of course, they can do that. They have Shazam-like technology called Content ID. So when someone tries to upload a song that's not controlled by them, um, it would block them just the way it blocks pornography. Hmm. You notice there's no pornography on YouTube. Yeah, it's, it's that's because they have very smart artificial intelligence that when someone tries to upload uh, pornography, it it puts it in a separate queue, and a human looks at it and says, "Is this a National Geographic show or is this porn?" And if it's porn, it goes in the trash. Hmm. So um, these those kind of changes to the law. GDPR, uh, other changes around privacy. If you think about the nature of, um, you know, when I've been on the road promoting this book, uh, I came across a neurobiologist who said to me, you know that the same app inside of the smartphone, which tells you how many steps you climbed yesterday, uh, how many stairs you climbed, could tell you whether you have Parkinson's or not, because there's a, it's called an accelerometer, hmm. and it could record that because it's a very specific tremor to Parkinson's. Well, if that's just sitting in an open app there, are they going to sell that to health insurance companies? Are they going to sell that to your employer? You think about all the ways that your privacy is being compromised by the information that you willingly give up, not even really knowingly. You know, people... Think about auto insurance. Well, you think that your auto insurance rates are set by how well you drive, but that's not true. It's where you drive. So if two women, you know, were living in a suburb and one of them drove down town to teach in a rough school neighborhood and parked their car there, her health insurance, I mean, her driver's insurance might be 20% higher than the other because they, and of course, we know where they get the data. They get it from GPS on a, on a mobile phone. So, so true. These, these concerns are ones I think the whole society should think about. 
I know there's a lot of convenience in these applications, and that's not going to change. I mean, we're we're always going to have a a search engine, but when you have a company like Google that has almost 90% market share in search and search advertising, it's not healthy. When you have a company like Facebook that has 75% of all mobile social, and by the way, that every newspaper gets 50 to 60% of its traffic from Facebook, then you have an imbalance. And of course, that also leads to things like fake news. Right. And fake news and and yeah, and, and what what news gets promoted, what news gets pushed um, out there, what algorithms are running what. It's interesting stuff. We're speaking with Jonathan Taplin and uh, Jonathan is the um, author of the new book, Move Fast and Break Things, How Google, Facebook and Amazon Cornered Culture and Undermined Democracy. We'll continue the discussion when we come back and uh, see if we can add more light to at least help you decide the value of these companies. I mean, we don't have to always inherently believe they're saints or sinners, right? We just got to figure out what's really happening and be a little bit more open-minded about it. We'll take a break. Continue the journey. Uh, Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. friends to the Matt Townsend show so much to cover uh, as we're talking about um, America's tech giants some of the biggest companies we have in the country now are these these big tech companies Google Facebook Amazon you hear about how much money they have you know saved up how much how much stuff they're buying how much innovation is taking place they're really on the cutting edge of so many things and offering a lot of jobs. They're providing money. But interesting thing about their jobs, uh, they don't they don't actually – they're very efficient companies. They don't employ as many as the big companies of old. Um, and so we, we've got a great guest today to walk us through some of the ins and outs of these big companies. Jonathan Taplin joins us. Jonathan is a director emeritus of the Annenberg Innovation Lab at the University of Southern California, and his areas of specialization are in international communication management and the field of digital media entertainment. He also, by the way, Taplin began his career in 1969 as a tour manager for Bob Dylan and the band. So, Jonathan, welcome to the show, man. You've had quite a history. Thank you. That's pretty neat. Um, what do you when, – when you look at these companies, uh, it's funny because we sit there and we think, well, Matt, they're making a lot of money and they're employing a lot of people. But in relation to the employers of old, they're really – they're very efficient companies, right? They don't generally have as many employees. Yeah, you think about Facebook, it's, it's uh, you know, the – fourth largest company in the world, and it employs only 19,000 people. Wow. So the wow. Ford Motor Company employs, what, 600,000 people, 700,000 yep. people? So, I mean, you know, I was struck by, as you were going to break your tagline, helping you to be the good in the world. Um, one of the things that I'm concerned about these companies, and I think a lot of your listeners probably are aware of this, is that we are addicting 
a whole young generation to their smartphones. Uh, I have a, a friend I know named Tristan Harris, who was an engineer at Google, and he eventually left Google because he became concerned that everything that they were doing was based on trying to addict you so that you had to check in with your phone uh, mm. sometimes as much as, uh, you know, 220 times a day, which is the average 15-year-old does. Um, there's a, a, a book that's very popular in Silicon Valley right now called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. And uh. in the book, they basically uh, describe for you uh, what you need to do. You have a trigger, and then you have an action, uh, and then you have a reward, which is a like, and then you reinvest yourself in the, in the platform. Uh, and, of course, that looks very much like the, the Skinner box of, you know, that we all studied in Psych 101, where the little rat was right. given variable rewards for, by pressing a bar. Now, it didn't get a reward every time it pressed the bar, so it kept pressing the bar. If it had gotten a reward every time it pressed the bar, then it would have just pressed the bar when it was hungry. But it doesn't know whether it's going to get a reward or not. You don't know whether you're gonna, your post is going to get liked or not. And this creates an addiction cycle that, you know, when you walk down the street uh, in your town, you have to be very careful you don't run into people who are just staring at their cell phones. Mm -hmm. uh, in the book, I tell the story of, you know, uh, kids literally falling off cliffs in uh, San Diego from not looking where they're going when they're next to the ocean, you know. Um, so I think one of the things we can do is, is try and figure out a way to take a break from these devices every once in a while. Some people are calling it a digital Sabbath. Um, for me, I went up to a Benedictine monastery in Big Sur where there was not only not cell service, there was no Wi-Fi, there was no way. So you just had no communication with the outside world, and all you had was silence, and you could read books. Yeah. And that was it. And the strange thing is that the first day you feel kind of anxious, by the second day, you realize that it's actually good to be away from that device, which you've been checking, you know, a hundred times a day. And by the third day, you feel rather free and, and kind of untethered. And, and, and in a sense, I think that's, that's a useful thing. I know my students always worried that, that the worst thing that could happen to them was if they lost their, their mobile phone, their smartphone. Um, but I think uh, at least trying once a week on Sunday to take the day off from social media and from the Internet is probably a good test. Right. Good and to think and, about and it, I guess it, it also, yeah, it, it distances us maybe a little bit from the habit, but also maybe puts this thing in context where it, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be something that controls us. It's something that that we can lead. Man, when you were just talking about that, Jonathan, I'm thinking of other companies, big businesses that were kind of known for hooking people, um, whether it was tobacco industry or, I mean, many would argue some of the food industry. They're trying to hook you with huge portion sizes, lots of salt, 
um, a lot of the the beverage companies, so uh, alcohol companies. I mean, it's in a way though. Th- this is a little bit almost. It almost seems more innocent, except when you hear that uh, these companies are chasing down a book to help create ad- addictive products. It's scary. Yeah, I mean, let's think about it. Are we raising a, a generation who are kind of attention deficit disorder simply because that's the way they've been trained to react? I mean, for instance, when I lecture, it's sometimes very hard to get students to close their laptops hmm. or to get off of social media, just even for an hour of lecture. Um, I think it's it's something that's, you know, just ask your kids. If I took away your phone for a week, how would you feel? And they would go crazy. Oh, yeah. They, no, no. Mine, would, mine wouldn't have it. <laughs> like mine would say, Dad, well, you wouldn't survive that. Yeah, it would get ugly. But it's, it's true. And, I mean, so how do we... How do we not let these companies take over then, Jonathan? How do – I mean, do we allow – is it is – it, do we need government to take over? When we well, look at our government, well, we think they don't seem to take over very well. And Well, here's, here's the problem. There is not a market solution to this. I know that, that uh, you know, the free market people think, well, there's, there's some company that's – going to unseat Google in the search business um, right now. And we don't even know who they are, but there are five kids in a garage who are building some brilliant search engine. I would not bet on that. In fact, if you, you know, when I go around and talk, I ask people, okay, would you invest with me in a startup to try and take on Google that has 90% market share in the search business? And, Nobody raises their hand to say yes, right? because they realize that these are entrenched companies that are not going anywhere. And in fact, as you probably know from that Wall Street Journal piece I wrote last week, um, they're going to extend their reach into many other businesses. So Google will probably dominate the self-driving car business. It may dominate the medical information business. Amazon is extending its reach into all sorts of retail opportunities, not just food, not just grocery stores, but it's putting up, ironically, its own bookstores, having destroyed the independent bookstore in America because they had they didn't have to pay taxes, and bookstores did. Now Amazon is going to start building bookstores. Hmm. So, I mean, these ability of these companies to move into a new business uh, and and take all the power just the way Facebook beat up Snapchat is is kind of ubiquitous. And so I've come to the conclusion that it may be that government regulation is the only way to think about it. Uh, I mean, ironically, the president's counselor, Steve Bannon, said last week that he thought that these companies should be regulated as public utilities. And what he meant by that was that Utility is kind of something you can't do without. It's like water and electricity. Well, if you think about it, it'd be pretty hard to do without Google. Uh, and, and a lot of your children would say it'd be almost impossible to do without Facebook. Um, and most people 
think it'd be hard to do without Amazon. Mm. So um, if they are public utilities, then they should be regulated the way utilities are. In other words, the government can tell them if they're overreaching, just the way the European government did last three weeks ago. Uh, And then you want to try and foster more competition, which was what the antitrust laws were meant for. Um, we, we kind of got changed in the 80s uh, into thinking that the only thing that mattered was price. Uh, if consumer prices didn't go up after a merger, then it wasn't a problem. But under that theory, then Amazon could become the only retailer in America and could probably keep prices down the way it does in the book business. It just tells publishers, we won't sell your book unless you price it mm. at this low price. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, then you want to pay? You, you want to play? You got to pay. Man, yeah. Jonathan, interesting stuff. All of this is, uh, is in the book, um, Move Fast and Break Things, How Google, Facebook, and Amazon Cornered Culture and Undermined Democracy. Uh, really, I think it's an essential kind of uh, learning. We have all got to, to be a little bit, I think, more skeptical of these these big companies it's just too easy to uh, to have the monopoly it's too easy to to put these demands on all of us that all of us give up our data without any of us thinking about it i mean it takes europe to to question data management of of american companies and um in the end it might benefit all of us but uh, interesting read by jonathan taplin and we appreciate his time Uh, We'll continue doing what we can to give you the information you need to make educated and informed decisions in your life. Uh, Up next, we'll continue the journey as well. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. You know, again, um, we don't want to sound like we're, hey, you know, the, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. But the reality is these companies are getting huge, right? And what happens when they're not just, Google's not just in management of, um, of you know, search engines, but in all of the data behind a search engine, when 90% of uh, money for ad revenue is being picked up by these three companies. It's a it's a big deal, and uh, really, it's only two companies that are probably doing most of that. And what happens when Google then spends a lot of its profits and ability to then hook into your medical records? But then your medical records are then possibly searchable with their own Google medical records technology. They've already integrated Google scholars, right? So it's going to get, it's big. And and I think it's empowering. I think it's powerful to have such great companies and big companies, and we all derive such benefit from them. And um, there's a lot of information that you could get access to or don't get access to. There's a lot of marketing, ironically, that automatically pops up with a Google company the minute you search on Google. Well, then just use another provider. Sure, you can. And it doesn't make it right. So part of what the key to this is, is somebody has to be pushing on the other side of this argument. 
And uh, I think that's all Jonathan's doing is trying to say, you know, maybe not everything that these companies do is perfect and rosy and we, we they just need a little check and balance. So everybody be informed. Caveat emptor, right? Be Buyer uh, beware. And really – Get your kids uh, to lead their lives. You lead your technology use and your family's use of technology. Be This is where we need to step up and truly lead. We'll take a break. Up next, more interesting stuff to help you live longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, joined by Terry South and Jeffrey Liam Simpson, also known as... The um, as lefty because of his leg. <laughs> what leg? What leg is hurting you? The right, uh, righty, slid into third, was safe, and we won the game and picked up a bacterial infection. I mean, I'm not that kind of doctor, but I've seen a bacterial infection, and that's one of them. Anyway, uh, that's all right. He'll be fine. He is standing. So There's it's a all solution. Good. You did give me some gypsy medicine to help out. Though. I gave you some honey. Well, one the solution I suggest to my kid. What? You know, he stubs his toe. He's crying. We can just cut it off. And he goes, "No." And I go, "Well, if we cut it off, it won't hurt anymore." Wow. So you're that dad. Yeah, and then he just stops crying. It's great. Do I get to miss any work? Um, I would say for an amputation, absolutely. Oh yeah. Okay. Hmm. You, no, you'd miss a lot of work. Uh, a day or two. It's more of an outpatient situation. Really? Could be. But then the phantom pains, the... Eh. Then you got what physical is, therapy. Does the hospital need to deal with all that? I feel bad for your wife. Because <laughs> she'd have to take care of the kids. She'd have to, you know... I'd probably milk you. it. You would, yeah. You know, I get a lot of series to catch up on. Mm-hmm. So... Well, let's not go there. Let's just see if my magic medicine works. Okay. You said, I think you told me it was. It's meta honey. It's honey in medical form. Prescription grade honey. It is. It actually is prescription grade. I'm pretty sure you said a gypsy placed a healing curse on it. I don't. I guess curse isn't the right word. A healing. A hex. Hex. There is we go. What it is. Okay. Uh, but even hex sounds a little negative. A little like severe. A, he- a healing blessing. Oh well. Yeah. This Point isn't of view. one of those things where. Uh, pass this off to somebody else or else you will die type yeah, of no, thing. Yeah, no, no. This I'm telling you, this okay. stuff is way good and it'll it'll so instead of your leg having to slough and drip all day, mm. this'll just this'll get in and the spores of this honey spores will get in and is kill this, all your uh, dead. Is it in pill form? No, it's it's a gel. So it's, it's like a it's not like a the premise not like the premise of the movie The Ring where you have to give the tape to somebody else within no. seven days. No, 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 no. Okay. No. But if you do like it, then if you'll tell three people. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, <laughs> Become no, it's, part of his downstream. If you if you ended up in a burn unit, you'd be getting this anyway. So 
I'm just saying if it works in a burn unit, it would probably work for your little rug burn that you got, your is, grass burn. Is it the same if you just go to the store and get one of those little squishy bears? No, no, it's a different thing, honey. This honey. is medicinal level honey. But by the way, you can taste it. It's got honey in it. Oh. Well, I hope it works because my leg was on fire last night. Your leg is on fire. That was a good song, by the way. Really? Do you remember that? Not that rendition, but sure. Yeah. Um, thank you, by the way. No, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. So uh, we're also celebrating Ice Cream Sandwich Day. Yo, I think I really want another ice cream sandwich. Oh, wow. This is the uh, Justin Bieber. This is Justin Bieber and Jeff Simpson driving in the Solera. As they're on the way down, his hands out the window to oh, the yeah. store to get their ice cream. You sandwich. couldn't even imagine the types of looks we get when you rolling guys... down State Street with this song playing. Oh yeah, and your arms are hanging out. And does it? Don't you have hydraulics in your Solera? Yeah, I mean, I can lift that thing way yeah. up high. This Solera hops—that's crazy. It's got it's switches. Really cool. So today you're going to want to celebrate by taking the kids out to get an ice cream sandwich. And I'm telling you, that's good living right there. That's good, clean fun. No one's ever died because of having an ice cream sandwich. Probably from having way too many ice cream sandwiches. Yeah, or driving under the influence of ice yeah, cream sandwiches. Yeah, and then all of a sudden there's an accident because you've got ice cream sandwiches everywhere. Your hydraulics get caught. Yeah, you're sideways, then you roll the car. Yeah, and then it's crazy. A good point, though, it's really tough to choke on an ice cream sandwich because no, it's all so soft. Give it time. Give it time. This, you're choking for a second, but if you just give it about a minute. This too will pass. It'll just all melt. So uh, we'll get to all that fun straight ahead. Plus, Ohio Fair time, which means butter sculptures, chocolate milk, lots of good. Well, now that it's back open. Well, yeah. They had that amusement park ride. Well, yeah, but that, yeah, you know, no. that's the negative side. Yeah, this, 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 is, is the, this is the. 2,000 pounds of butter. Yeah. <laughs> so mean, we're getting just yet one more reason why. State fairs depress me. Butter? Really? Stuff like this. Why? It's just it pales in comparison to the types of entertainment that I grew up He was He was like with. rurally shaming people from an urban point of view. Oh, because you were an urbanite. Yeah. It's funny, though. I said I feel depressed when I go to state fairs, and Terry immediately could identify with what I was saying. Totally. I walk in there and like, oh, really? What are they doing? But, like, hold on. Like, Wilbur? Charlotte's Web. Well, it's not that. It's just Charlotte there, dies. There, there's certain attractions that are there, and then like some guy runs up and wants to get you a credit card. Yeah. It's just it just turns into just every a, form of of like people handing out things, and there's, there's still, a rock chip repair. Yeah. It's like, what are we doing? <laughs> well, I mean, you got your truck. You only get your truck into town so often. Have you, you ever need to get those chips repaired? Have you ever seen those hot tub displays? Yeah, that's there. Who weird. are those for? Who, well, who's walking out of the state fair having me. signed off on a hot tub? Well, a hot tub. Okay, but let's be real. And some cheese curds. Obviously a lot of people because I, they wouldn't keep going know. back. But I guarantee you some of those people at the fair have hopped in to give those hot tubs a test drive. Well, yeah, but, you know, they're, they're used to just soaking in like a horse uh, trough. Maybe with like a, <laughs> That a, they got at the IFA. Not all of them. I mean, that's the other thing. It's supposed to be representative of the entire state. Oh, sure. It so is. you're going to have you know your 4-H club, and you're going right. to have your 
your science club from the the high school downtown or something. You have the All hot tub club. Run that, apparently the hot tub club, but then it turns into like Huxterville, and they're trying to sell you all this stuff and I credit was, cards. But the and, thing is, I was driving down uh, in Salt Lake City near that one of the actually near two universities in Salt Lake City, a college, Westminster College, and the University of Utah. Gotcha. And guess I look over, and there is a horse trough. Yeah. A tin horse trough with uh, filled with water in the middle of summer and about six high or college kids sitting in it. Oh, well. Hmm. What are you going to do? So I'm thinking I thought that I would only see that out in the boonies. But no, you can see it in the inner city. So those that is who they're getting the hot hmm. tub for. At the fair. Maybe it's when I'm standing in line for scones for an hour. Oh, yeah. I think that's when I start to uh, think what? to myself, what have I done with my life? Yeah, all the life choices come right back at you. That's why Mama said always bring your own scones. Eh, really? Bring your own scones to the fair. It's not like they check. And bring, uh, you know, make sure you've got a, uh, a really good um, antibacterial soap. I've got some honey that I can put yeah, on the take, scones. You can take your meta honey. And then my wife wants to go to the quilting fair that they have oh, inside yeah. the state no, fair. Like, a, why are we? You're not going to quilt. Why are no, we here? It's there to just enjoy the talents of those that they made blankets. Do quilt? No, they. They're, That's no, great. don't call it a blanket. Maybe you've seen that quilt uh, quilt watching channel on Netflix. Nope. You just watch it no, make. He's quilts. always watching the knife channel. I have not. Ah. But so, Netflix took away many of my favorite shows yesterday. Did they? Yeah. Have you, they didn't take away Dr. Bob Ross. That's not one of my favorite shows. Bob Ross. Is Rogue One gone yet? No, it just popped up there the other day. We watched hey, it. It was great. Hey, hey, hey. Yes, what? Let's move they on. They took away all the Justice League television. Hey, there's like hey. four, there's three different Shh. Justice League Where's cartoons. the justice in no that? Need, no took need. Them away. We, don't, we don't even need to talk about that. can't watch Superman anymore. By the way, um, anyway, I won't go there. My we've child got, is We've got so much to cover. We are covering Ice Cream Day. We'll cover the fair in Ohio. Um, plus, a man is seeking – he was looking for his dropped phone, and he falls into a trash chute. And it happens. That's, you happens know, that's, to the best of us. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't – it's never happened to me, but um, – Oh, well. That's why he said the best the of best us. The best of us, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it just qualified. seems like something that wouldn't really ever happen to certain people. Um, anyway, we'll get to all that. Uh, all that straight ahead. But first to the headlines with Terry. Terry, what's going on? What should we be, what should we be paying attention to? The popular face of America's opioid epidemic is white and rural, but new research from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services indicates the crisis of opioid misuse and addiction has become just as pressing in urban areas. As the Washington Post reports, the study found that more than one-third of Americans were prescribed opioids in big cities, small towns, and rural areas alike with that group about one in ten prescription recipients misuse the drug across locational categories so it's it's all over it's not just a small town thing it's, oh, it's everybody's doing Everyone. it now everyone's has the problem the cryptocurrency bitcoin we've talked about that on the show yeah has split into two after top fixers couldn't reach a deal before a deadline on tuesday one technology company executive told business insider that technical issues were to blame bitcoin cash that's the new version was created as the second faction with the first new cash coins minted within hours of the split Bitcoin traded lower on Tuesday while Bitcoin Cash briefly jumped ahead but then took a nosedive. At last report that I saw, Bitcoin is worth $2,718 a Bitcoin. Wow. While Bitcoin Cash is worth $360 a Bitcoin Cash. So 
you know, but, Bitcoin. So you, do you buy the do you buy the company with the cash? I'm really not sure how with it works. The coin? I think we've had three guests on to talk Bitcoin, and we still have no idea. I what don't this understand thing is. it. No, totally. <laughs> still out there. Um, it's very important that parents refrain from physical punishment, as it can have a long-lasting impact. Huh. Gustavo Car- Carlos says in a press release, the University of Missouri professors behind a study recently published in Developmental Psychology that looked at the long-term ramifications of spanking and other forms of physical discipline. While previous studies have shown spanking can have negative effects on a child development in the short term, Carlos's study found children who face physical discipline in infancy could continue to see negative effects into their teen years. Really? The study study found that African-American children who were severely punished at 15 months were more likely to be delinquent and aggressive in fifth grade. They were also less likely to help others. However, the study didn't find the same link in European-American children. Okay. Wow. So that's kind of any corporal punishment, any physical... So giving the kids a whooping may lead to Uh, problems down the line. So it looks like you guys are going to have to look for something else to do this weekend. Man. Darn it. We'll figure it out. Another story. This is tragic. What? But again, it's another story that I think kind of paints the entire airline industry with a broad brush. What happened now? And doesn't reflect on every situation. But passengers stuck on a plane for more than six hours after an eight-hour flight ended up calling 911 for assistance. They say the airline wasn't giving them. The air transit flight from Brussels to Montreal was diverted to Ottawa on Monday because of stormy weather at its destination, the Ottawa Citizen reports. Passengers say they weren't allowed to get off the plane during the delay, even after food water, and water ran out and the air conditioning stopped. Oh, boy. After six hours. The plane actually lost power. The, the uh, went to zero AC. And then now we've got the doors open and one kid is sick and people are just losing their minds, one passenger said. Uh, this is not okay or humane. After at least one passenger called 911, paramedics show up. Start handing out water, treating a passenger who was sick. By the time the plane finally got to Montreal, people had been on board for 15 hours. Whoa. The Ottawa Airport Authority blames the airline, saying it was they, they were the one that made the decision to keep the passengers on the plane. Air Transit swung back, saying the airport staff failed to provide the loaded uh, loading bridges and stairs necessary to either deplane the passengers or replenish the aircraft's empty oh, drinking water. Boy. The Canadian government is all like, well, we're working on a, what, the, uh, a passenger's rights sort of bill. That's kind of how we're trying to We don't to want think. no stinking bill. <laughs> it's not our fault. but yeah, so, so who pays for that paramedic bill? I don't know. Hmm. Maybe the airport just takes it so the whole thing goes away. But yeah, the government's like, well, working on like you know the airline, the the passenger bill of rights type of concept, right? And right. So they, they don't really have anything on the books to protect people on airplanes when stuff like that happens. But like, I mean, this isn't new. No, this was happening thirty years ago. Yeah, just people have phones. Now. When were they going to get that bill of rights thing done? Not sure. When they were shamed into it. There we go. Yesterday, I saw a report of a somewhere. A, a person that worked at an airport punching a woman holding a child. Yeah, I saw that. In line. You're like, wow, that's new. Welcome to such and such airlines. Whack. Whack. <laughs> Unbelievable. It makes you just not want to travel anymore. Makes you just want to sit home. Yeah. Draw the draw the shades. But now people are like, yeah, but we can't even discipline our children anymore. Yeah, what's up with that? I'm just irate if they run out of the blue chips. That just makes me lose it. Why? Why? They're blue. Yeah, why? And they're tasty potato chips. Hmm. 
Have you ever had those? Yeah, but they it seems like when I tasted them, they tasted pretty much like the other ones. Well, yeah, but they're blue. But once you've had them and then you can't have them, you that's... And around the 4th of July, you can find red, white, and blue. But uh, honestly, Ooh, do yeah. you want red or do you want blue potato chips in your teeth? I've had them. They're good. Like stuck in your teeth? Well, you know, you brush your teeth occasionally. Well, I mean, I'm saying just like you just had a meal and somebody's mm. like, whoa, what's that blue stuff? Well, no, the trick is you don't eat food with people. Oh, you just eat alone in your yeah, car yeah. while then, it's idling. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That Yeah, I, I didn't. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, yeah. I, I didn't think of it that yeah, way. Yeah, it's the, another step there. Speaking of the fair, uh, the Ohio Fair Butter Sculpture features athletes and chocolate milk. Nobody loves a fair better than my good brother in here. And nobody loves uh, going to the fair other than seeing the Afghans. Hmm. Just those, just, I mean, that great, the Afghan and the quilting contest. It's great stuff. Um, those are fun. Yeah. And tasting all of the preserves. Mm. Apparently scrapbooking is a big attraction now. Is it? Apparently. You can get candles made there. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've walked away with some candles. A t-shirt with your face on it. We, by the way, we, I, we have won a, um, we have won before a, a quilt. Really? Did you have to throw a ping pong ball into a bowl or something? No, no. Okay. I, I think we just put our name in a drawing. Yeah. We won. And you'll forever get emails. Yeah. Now. Now we'll be marketed to forever. So there's a butter sculpture at this year's Ohio State Fair that includes the traditional cow and calf. You got to have that. Sure. Because yeah. it's butter. I mean, it's well, like it's yeah. ironic. And you have to give the, the proper amount of respect to the dairy industry. Totally, in which yeah. is what that's all about, right? And um, along with four athletes, so now there's a, uh, there's a, you, there's a sculpture that right. has a cow, a calf, and four athletes, and a six-foot-tall bottle colored to look like chocolate milk. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's like, butter, but brown. It's brown butter. Hmm. Which is a, a unique kind of butter. Yeah. You oh, see yeah. The type, you it's probably, probably like an it. apple butter. Hmm. Mm. The American Dairy Association Mideast says the sculpture unveiled Tuesday salutes chocolate milk as the official drink of the Ohio High School Athletic Association. Yeah. That explains a lot. And it is made in butter. It's actually good for energy. It's oh, good yeah. Lots of protein. Totally. Um, it's sugar, the first but... time the butter sculpture has included color. So normally it's just that. It's butter. It's just butter. So they're color. breaking new ground here. Yeah, yeah. Cocoa was added to make it look like chocolate milk. The bottle stands among four athletes representing football, tennis, softball, and soccer. You just know somebody's going to be really disappointed when they go to try to take a, a swig of that giant chocolate milk and discover that it's not actually chocolate milk. That ain't chocolate milk. But butter. And By then the way, they'll think, oh, butter's pretty good too. It weighs 2,000 pounds. Guess how many hours it took to create such a display? Way more than it should have, that they should ever have spent on it. No, 500 hours. 500 hours. Again, I repeat. Totally worth it. Hey, um, a man uh, looking for his his cell phone that he dropped ended up in a stinky situation, tumbling into the building's trash chute where he had to be rescued. In Washington, D.C., fire spokesman says the man was throwing out his trash at an apartment building when he thought he dropped the cell phone in the chute. Oh, that would be just terrifying. The man then leaned in to check, and he fell inside. Did he yell, shoot, when it fell in? shoot. And uh, the man, um, when he fell inside, the man was able to call 911 from inside the trash chute. So he must have found his phone, by the way. 
uh, Sunday, though it, was, it wasn't clear what phone he used. But I'm sure he had to use his phone, wouldn't he? Um, a video posted online shows a firefighter rescue crews uh, pumping fresh air down the chute to the man through a hose. They eventually hauled him out using a harness, and the man didn't appear hurt and was released on the scene. Uh, and because we're such a top-notch crew, we sent our own Schick Shumway to the scene. Schick is known as always being first on the scene. He was able to hold a brief interview with this unfortunate man before firefighters arrived. Sir, can you tell us how you got into this mess? One of the questions we face as parents is what to do about smartphones. There can be a lot of risk and danger associated with access to the Internet, especially for children under the age of 13. This has become such a problem for some parents that in Colorado, a new lobbying group called Parents Against Underage Smartphones is trying to pass legislation that will ban companies from selling smartphones to these uh, to these to the youth. And as uh, as wonderful as the message of awareness is, media psychologist um, Nicholas Bowman discusses why this new movement might be just an exaggerated reaction to new technology. Dr. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I heard a lot about ice cream day today, so you've made me nice and hungry. Are you starving? I know. You can't get enough, can you? <laughs> By the Absolutely. way, if you're in the Ohio Ferry, you could just go get some butter. They have, a, they have some great <laughs> butter sculptures. Um, so talk to us, Nick, because it, it seems like every time that there's we hear a story about um, smartphones or we hear – uh, something with you know Facebook Live or one of the t- social media sites. Um, a lot of parents get terrified. They're they're worried that these phones and the social media are all going to go in and warp their kids' brains. Are we are we are we exaggerating the threat? Do we need to really worry about it? And does all the worry really matter? Well, I think what you see here with any new technology, you know, at, at the basic level, we have to understand that technology by itself is disruptive, right? You're taking something that we do by hand and you're asking a machine or a device to help you with it. So, for example, with uh, smartphones, normally we couldn't communicate with people that weren't immediately around us, right? Right. You're at the airport and you're waiting for your family and you don't have a quarter in your pocket. You just wait patiently for the next plane. You can't update anybody and you're kind of incommunicado for a while. Um, So we get excited because we develop these technologies we can carry around in our pocket that allow us to be in contact with everybody, which sounds like a really cool idea. Well, eventually, with any really cool idea, we start learning that it's not all pearls, right? There's also some perils that come with it, um, being not being able to get away from people, maybe folks getting in touch with you who you don't want to get in touch with mm. you, or in the case of smartphones, you talked to a guest earlier today, just this you know instantaneous access to information. And what ends up happening is we sort of overreact to the positive and get really excited about the technology. Then something bad happens, and we overreact to the negative. Uh, Gartner calls this a hype cycle. We go through this sort of trough of disillusionment where suddenly all these promises and Jetsons effects of how wonderful this technology is going to be, it only takes a couple anecdotes and a couple cracks in the armor for us to go, oh, my gosh, 
we forgot who we are as people. We no longer communicate. No one has face-to-face communication anymore. Let's just get rid of it and go back to what it used to be. And the problem with that is we do this all of the time. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, if you see some of my writings, we talk a lot about how you know the, the telephone at one time was thought to be you know something that would lead to adultery because housewives would speak to men outside of the home and it might encourage them to go adventure beyond their boundaries and mm. things like this. So it's something that it's hard as a as a researcher, as a psychologist, as a communication scholar to see this pattern in front of us now and to say, yep, this one is legitimate. And all the other times we overreacted to technology, those were just fads. And it's hard, it's hard for me not to go, is this not a fad also? And perhaps are we shutting it down and unplugging it rather than taking the time and attention to recognize that, you know, human communication has changed and that's okay. It's been changing since the first time we communicated. Boy, it's uh, the, uh, the hype cycle. I, I've never thought of it that way. And yet, yeah, we do. We seem to ride that wave. And is it just it's, I guess it's because we're so reactive. We're reactive for it and we're reactive against it. But um, it's almost like we're not we're yeah. not able to think separate from it. Or I mean, I, I, like I, I worry about it. But what I worry about is what we don't know. I don't worry. I don't need to conjure up something that it might be create a problem in. I, I worry more about we have no idea the impact of what our kids never leaving their house will be like. I mean, I, that, I worry about the unknown. You know, it's a great way to word it. And, you know, as a researcher, that's how I try to approach the question. And, and your language right now about, you know, rather than speculating what we think we know, it's investigating what we don't. And it reminds me of the 1920s. There was um, a real fear that children were going to the movies too much. And if you look at the data on the cinema, the turn of the centuries, it seems like the 20s and 30s were a time where almost every child in America was going to the movies. It was essentially you dropped your kids off, you paid your, your nickel, they watched four or five shows all day Saturday and came home. And I guess hmm. the theater at that time was just imagine a daycare with a screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're running around streaming and, and, and being kids, being, you know, you know, adolescents. And there's this real fear that we don't know what they're learning from these films because nobody's paying attention. We're just showing them movies and dropping them off and picking them up later. And so Francis Bolton Payne helped fund a very infamous what was called the Payne Fund Studies. And they were one of the very first scientific approaches to do movies really impact children? And one of the bits of language in the reason for getting those studies funded was that no parents have an impartial understanding of whether or not films affect their kids. In other words, everyone thinks they know, and yeah. everyone remembers the worst, but no one's actually taken a step back and gone, you know what, I'm not going to judge this behavior. I'm just going to describe it. And sure enough, if you read through the pain fund studies, what you find out is some bad things happened, some good things happened, and some no things happened. You know, it's complicated. And I think we don't like that answer, right? right. As, as parents, as humans, as legislators, we don't want the answer. It's complicated. We want to say kids are being weird, and they weren't weird before, which is questionable, of course. And the thing that's changed is video games and smartphones. So those are the things that must go. You know, it's so a strong true. correlation out of patterns that it's not that there's no effect. It's that we're not taking the time to study the effect. Instead, we're looking for a common denominator. But to me, it reminds me of the claim. I remember when I was working in PR 
and, and this guy was claiming that we need to shut down bike lanes because more bicycle accidents are happening in bicycle lanes than anywhere <laughs> else in the city of St. Louis. Yeah. And I was like, that's exactly right. <laughs> that, I mean, that makes sense. That's where the bikes are. <laughs> that's exactly right. There's, sometimes there's cars there, too, in the bike Every lane. Every once in a while, unfortunately, and that's when the accident Right. Happens. It's the weirdest thing. Isn't that funny, <laughs> Nicholas? It's like we're oh, we're so neurotic. that, And, and part of it, too, though, is – um, I, I saw a really funny um, post on Facebook somewhere that was talking about in the 70s, we told people to not eat uh, to d- not eat meat because it'll kill you. And like a few years later, they're like, well, don't eat cooked meat, but then don't eat raw meat, but then don't eat potatoes and then don't eat because it was, it's the carbs that are bad. But then it's the good HDL, LDL. Anyway, it went on and on and on. And how many times we've been told what to eat, what we can't eat. And so I guess that's the the downside to research anyway. It seems like if we wait another week, we just get the next crazy research study. Um, and, you know, and, interestingly enough, yeah. But it's not even um, – it doesn't seem like it's the researchers. It's almost the media interpreting the research, making a sexy headline, and it's confusing the marketplace. I think it's partly that. Uh, it's partly the idea that especially I think in a lot of the social psychological sciences, it, it makes more sense that we're going to look out for danger rather than reaffirming good things, right? I mean right. Um, you know, part of our job is to make sure these things aren't dangerous because, of course – the anecdotes aren't lies. I mean, there are stories of people being addicted to technology. Right. And as your guest earlier said, someone walking off a cliff in San Diego. That does happen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but it, it does. I, um, I have walked into a, a utility pole while I was on my phone before, and um, it's not fun, and it's very embarrassing. But the question is, are we looking for direct effects, which means the technology has a direct and a universal and a powerful impact on all people, or should we be looking at indirect effects, meaning that, okay, we're all using this technology in various ways. And I say all the caveat, not everybody uses technology, but are there characteristics of some people that might cause them to be affected differently? I'll give a quick example. I just finished up a study, and and in, in disclosure, it's still being reviewed, so it hasn't been published yet. But one of the things we found is there's a lot of concerns over the link between using your smartphone and being depressed, hmm. right? People argue that if you're online a lot, you're sort of stalking your friends, and you're getting all the social information from people. And because everybody online is fake, and they're very, very positive, it's going to make you feel bad about yourself. And this has been something that's been demonstrated in a couple of surveys here and there. Well, our team did a research study where we looked at that relationship and we added one variable. Are you actively using social media or passively using social media? The difference being active people are folks who are making posts, Hmm. they're making comments, they're sharing their own photos, right? Passive people were the ones that were scrolling and not really interacting with anybody. Interesting. What we found is that the active people actually felt a lot of social support and a lot of decreased depression from their social media use. The passive people, well, they were the ones that were feeling depressed. And what that tells me is it's not social media that's causing depression. Hmm. It's it's the interaction of your behaviors and probably your life situation. To speculate, I imagine that people who are very active have a lot to share. They're engaging their friends. They're bragging. They are the ones with the awesome hamburger in front of them or the great photo of the beach. And it's not, it doesn't make you a bad person to share your life with your friends. 
The pastors people probably don't have a lot to talk about, and they're the ones that are scrolling through and probably feeling bad. That tells me that it can be a good thing, and it can be a bad thing, dependent on the person using it. And I think that we're not comfortable with that answer. Perhaps it takes a lot more work on our behalf mm-hmm. to understand how to navigate it, right? And we can't really legislate, you know, only people who aren't bragging can use Facebook. Like, it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> right. Well, and, I mean, isn't that interesting? If all of a sudden it wasn't about Facebook, it was about you as a person, and it was about how you interact with the world and what technology, what tools you use, what uh, social media forms you're using. Are you depressive anyway? That probably wasn't studied either. Um, Oh, it's just fascinating stuff. We're speaking with Nicholas Bowman. He's an associate professor of communication studies at West Virginia University, where he researches the uses and effects of communication technology. He's published over six dozen peer-reviewed articles on the topic and uh, has also worked on five books, presented over 100 research papers. He's, uh, he's, he's prolific. He's pushing it out there, doing what he can to help us understand tech and its impact on our lives. We'll take, uh, we'll take a quick one here and be back continuing the journey as we uh, try to help you be the good in the world. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. That's a little shout-out there for our guest, Dr. Nicholas Bowman. Uh, Nick is a, an associate professor of communication studies at West Virginia University, and uh, he studies the effects of communication technology and is today talking to us about really why th- this uh, reactivity that we have, this reaction to ban smartphones for kids is just uh, is just maybe more of the same, you know, fear that we've always had of of kind of a moral panic over technology advancement. Um, am I getting that right, Nick? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. You know, and, and that term "moral," by the way, has a really important connotation, right? Because it implies that kids are doing something inherently wrong. That it's wrong to communicate through technology, right? That you have to communicate face to face or it doesn't count sometimes. And I think that's one that really gets hung up in this debate. Oh, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's funny, too, because, like, from the Gutenberg press, I guess, down, we have been fearing uh, advancements in technology, and yet later find out that these are enhancing life, they're they're making life better. Um, But we, we also fear what we don't know. We do see, though, it seems like, and I don't know that we can attribute it to technology, but I mean, my my children are able to do things on technology that was I've never even imagined being able to do at their age. The knowledge they can access. I mean, I have children that are so interested in space and um, science simply because there are so many great YouTube videos online. So the the, the benefits are huge. But like you were saying, that we really don't know what we don't know. So it's almost like parents need to slow down and maybe just respect and trust more the inherent goodness of kids and um, and maybe tr- then gather as much data as they can to guide them along the way. 
You know, that's a really interesting way to put it, because in a lot of the media literacy research and a lot of the research on screen times and like, you know, should your children consume more sort of, quote unquote, traditional media like television and film and things like that. And of course, the general idea is when you're under two years old, you really shouldn't do much of anything besides eat and grow. Right. The list of things right. that infants and toddlers shouldn't do is longer than the list of things that they should do by, by, by a factor of I don't even know. Um, but when you start getting into toddlers and young children and early adolescents, um, a lot of the lessons are less about don't let them in front of a screen and more around watch it with them. Find out what they're interested in, why they're interested in it, and talk them through it. Mm. I remember you know, I was privileged as a child that my mom and I would sit in the living room when I was a kid and play Sega together. Hmm. And I remember, of course, looking back, I think it was a devious trick because that way they could supervise me 100% of the time. But it was in the living room on the big TV, right? Yeah. Big by 17 inches, I think that was the big TV. <laughs> Those were big back then. And, yeah, exactly. So we played together. Um, there wasn't a looking, reflecting on that, there was never a moment except maybe when I was at a friend's house or a sleepover, you know, secretly watching Beavis and Putt and not telling my parents. Um, she knew what I was consuming. She knew that I was shooting aliens over here and that I was navigating snail mazes over here and that I was kung fu chopping things over here. And we talked through it and we played through it. And I think a situation like that can apply to smartphones and children, like you were saying. Hmm. And it goes back to my earlier point about the interaction of the person doing the consuming in the content they're consuming. Um, because, of course, there is bad information online and there is good information online. But it's not as if that bifurcation, that divide is going to disappear when they're adults. In fact, I might even argue that some of the biggest problems we have today with technology, they're not with children. They're with adults who can't stop yelling at each other over politics. Oh, right. Because they didn't grow up in an era where they were able to understand the differences between process news and, pro and editorial and fake news. A lot of those issues are probably media literacy components. So if we don't take the time to understand how our children are consuming information, we don't allow them to cultivate things that they value, and then vice versa, teach them to actively avoid things that they shouldn't value, you know, based on our individual family's perspectives there, they're not going to learn any skills. And it's super critical because information is not a binary. It's, not, it's either there or not. And smartphones don't have any particular positive or negative quality. They're simply technologies that put us in touch with the world in a way that is probably more intimate than any other time in history. Now, of course, people said the same thing about Gutenberg. Right. They said the same thing about radio and television. And that's sort of my point. You know, we have to kind of respect that power. And to me, the evidence is not there to suggest that this device is so wholly unique and so wholly dangerous that it should be locked away. Mm. I mean, I just don't see that evidence. Are there bad things? Yes, there's bad things. There's also good things, and a lot of it has to do with what we don't know. That's right. Well, and, and you did a great piece um, on the conversation in .com, uh, why it's understand it's important to understand social media's dark history. Because, I mean, it's it's had a pretty scary past in certain ways, and so you don't want to be naive to it, but – I, I mean, I've, we've had guests on the show that, that brought up really good points, that, like with pornography. If, if you're always just trying to hide it from the kids and make it so that 
they they hopefully will never ever come across it. That's just not realistic. They're going to come across it. So it might be better to teach your kids how to handle it when it appears on the screen, how to come talk to them, how to turn it off, what it means, what it doesn't mean, and 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 engage in the conversation and the skill building around it instead of just its avoidance. This makes a lot of sense. And, you know, in many ways, it is very well aligned with what we say when we talk about freedom of speech in the marketplace of ideas. And what I mean by that is those philosophies come from an understanding that information access is inherently good because we have the ability to make an informed decision. You know, the more stuff we have in front of us, the more we understand about the things in front of us, and we can choose the ones we like, and we can choose the ones we don't like. It's why we don't have to ban the Flat Earth Society. That would not be appropriate. They have a perspective, and they can have that perspective. It doesn't mean I have to go visit the webpage every day and believe it and change my entire you know, um, physical sciences curriculum as a result, right? Right. Um, you know, letting and the example of pornography is a really good one. Of course, we don't want to necessarily encourage people to consume things no. that right. do have a record of, of danger and you know, we don't find, you know, acceptable. But at the same time, in an age of information, when one of the most critical cultural, social and economic forces is no longer manufacturing, but it's literally information. It's can I access something? It seems to me that we have to teach that evaluation skill now more than ever before, right? Whether we like it or not, it is possible for me in my office to find information on how to join ISIS. That is a real part of the world. And no amount of deleting my access because we don't like this is going to fix that. Um, we have to teach people how to engage and understand their technologies. I think of cyberbullying is another one. It's very dangerous, right? And the fact that, you know, when I was a kid and I got picked on, at least I got to go home and get away from it for for the rest of the day. Right. Today I can't do that. I go home, log onto my computer, and my bully's right there, and they're yelling at me. Now, it seems that you can say, oh, well, just unplug, Nick. You don't need to use the computer. But I would disagree. In an age of information, the computer is our world. We can't separate out sort of, quote, unquote, digital life from actual life because they are inherently intertwined. They're one and the same. And I think that's my biggest fear. We're telling people to essentially cut off access to a real part of the world, a real part of the universe, you know, this, this digital space, because small parts of it are dangerous. And I, I don't see the evidence to support that. And I fear that it's not going to teach us what's probably most critical. How do we navigate that? As we grow and move forward, and as earlier guests said, these technologies are growing despite whether or not we want them to. Right. You know, one philosopher calls it rational capitalization. It's like, well, the most rational decision is to embrace it and learn it. Mm. Do what? What do you suggest to parents? Um, I mean, because they're instead of being afraid, instead of just you know, shutting it down. What, what, what are some of the things that you would get really good at as a parent when it comes to technology? And I think at the top level, I should say that individual, individual families can of course make the choice to unplug from these things. I think that's something that, you know, my critique and the, the impetus of a lot of this writing came more from the legal efforts to have like a statewide sanctioned ban on something rather than individual families. So for a variety of reasons, a family might decide it's not 
it's not useful for them. But that being said, I think one of the most important ones is to use it together, right? I'm thinking of my right. mom and I playing Astro Warriors in front of the TV. Use it together. And I think the other one is model good behavior. Nothing irritates me more, and here's where I kind of get a more judgmental than scientific. When I read about you know, people complaining about the kids and their smartphones, and then I see a family of four at dinner, it's the parents who are on their phones. Totally. Then you know, there's research the that came out, right? Research came out showing yes. kids are desperate for their parents' attention. Get off the phone. They want your attention. You're not giving it to them. Yeah. You know, um, or when you know, it's similar to the participation trophy award, where parents complain about participation trophies, but they're the ones buying the trophies. I'm like, <laughs> you have to model the behavior. Right. You know, um, in my classroom, um, I in some classes I allow technology, and as a result, I actively use it. I will use Twitter chats during the lecture. If a student posts to Facebook, I'll stop and respond to it to the entire class. I literally show them what I mean by being an informed social media user. In my social life, you know, I don't always have my phone on me. I leave it in the car when I'm at dinner with my wife, for example, hmm. um, and things of that nature. Or sometimes what my wife and I will do, like we did on Sunday, we're both news junkies. We had the smartphone up at our pizza restaurant reading the news together while we were eating. Oh, wow. And the funny part about that is I bet you tables across the room were like, look at those whippersnappers using yeah. their phone and not socializing. And I'm like, well, actually, we are. We're both reading BBC together. It's like sharing so, a paper. It literally 100 percent. You, you know, used to do that all the time. Very short anecdote. I was at the doctor's office recently and I was on my phone and somebody made a comment towards me that it'd be nice if people would get off their phones and socialize in the doctor's office. And what this person didn't realize is I was actually reading the newspaper. Hmm. They were all watching Ninja Warrior on the office television, which I just didn't find as interesting. Isn't that you know? interesting? But see, we do. We judge people, don't we, for how oh, they're yeah. using it. And yet we don't know. I mean, you could be correcting papers. You could be doing anything. Something. Absolutely. And I think that's where I think we need to be careful. We talk about smartphones as if they're this monolithic thing. And we talk about them as it's a black box that is addictive and takes you out of the world. And that logic doesn't align with the lived experience as to how we use our phones. Like, we know that's not true if we start going through our individual usage of these very devices. But it is a narrative that has some heuristic sense. It makes sense because I see people looking down. Therefore, they must be checked out of reality. And that's where I go back to my point about what do you mean checked out of reality? It's, it's, it's the same reality. It's the same information. Mm. Um, and that's where I get back. You know, my two things for parents would be use it together and set examples for good behavior. Because, of course, there are times where we see people inappropriately, arguably, substituting, quote, unquote, human face-to-face -face interaction yeah. with smartphone interaction. But the very fact that we recognize that as a problem is why I'm not worried about it. Right. right? I mean, yeah, we, we know yeah. it's a problem. That's right. And we I guess that, it then it gets down to the individual, right? Then can the individual right. actually change that problem? Well, Nick, it's been a joy having you on the show. We got to have you back. You've got so much information and um, there's so many shows here, too, at BYU Broadcasting that would benefit from from your great research that you're doing in technology. Nick Bowman's his name, associate professor and research associate at the Interaction Lab at West Virginia University. Uh, a great, uh, great insight and great person. Um, also, go check out his articles on uh, 
theconversation.com as well. He just is writing everywhere he can. And that's, you know, the goal of the show is to give you the information you need as a parent to not just fear everything, but instead to step up and start leading it, taking back your technology. We'll uh, continue that discussion uh, when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Talk about good. So I read these other genres, but I just keep coming back to the fantasy because it does take me away, but at the same time, it helps me deal with my own problems. It gives me courage when I face a difficult challenge. And there's a wonderful quote that I love. Fantasy is worthwhile not because it teaches children that dragons are real, but it teaches them that dragons can be beaten. Catch Worlds Awaiting Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. and weekdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. So I tried to remember, like, what do I think the point is of being here? I sat down at the keyboard, and it was, like, one of the fastest songs I've ever written. It was like a window opened up for me as far as understanding what I think we all really are for each other. It's like a symphony. Just keep listening. The best in national, international, and local singers and songwriters. Highway 89, every night at 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. You know, um, we talk about technology, so would you rather be dealing with this problem? Would you rather be, you know, chasing your kid for their cell phone and get off your phone? Or... Would you rather have your boy um, caught four times in six weeks for car theft? Hmm. Listen to this. A 10-year-old Florida boy described by police as flashy cut off his ankle monitor the day after being charged with stealing a car, and he stole another one. Come on, flashy. Police said, oh, there he goes. Cute little flashy. Police said it was the fourth arrest for car theft. Four arrests in six weeks for a 10-year-old Florida boy. Daytona Beach police have noticed uh, a brashness that's not common in children that young. The police say the boy has uh, has a look-at-me attitude. The boy is so small that when police seized the stolen car, the driver's seat was pushed up to the steering wheel. Whoa. Flashy is his name. I've got a rashness going on right now. No, yours is a different rash. Oh, okay. Not, yours isn't rashness. Yours is just rashy. Yeah. Anyway, good old flashy. Ten-year-old boy, fourth uh, car stolen in six weeks. And he had the nerve to cut off his his foot monitor, his leg monitor. Wow. Scary stuff. What's happening to these kids nowadays? Maybe it's better to just let them have a cell phone. Maybe just ought to let them have a cell phone. <laughs> anyway, hopefully you're not dealing with your own little flashy. Life's good, folks. Don't forget it. Uh, We're going to continue the journey in just a bit. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. You know, um, we talk about technology, so would you rather be dealing with this problem? Would you rather be, you know, chasing your kid for their cell phone and get off your phone? Or would you rather have your boy um, caught four times in six weeks for car theft? Hmm. 
Hmm. I listen to this. A 10-year-old Florida boy described by police as flashy cut off his ankle monitor the day after being charged with stealing a car, and he stole another one. Come on, flashy. Police said, oh, there he goes. Cute little flashy. Police said it was the fourth arrest for car theft. Four arrests in six weeks for a 10-year-old Florida boy. Daytona Beach police have noticed uh, a brashness that's not common in children that young. The police say the boy has has a look-at-me attitude. The boy is so small that when police seized the stolen car, the driver's seat was pushed up to the steering wheel. Whoa. Flashy is his name. I've got a rashness going on right now. No, yours is a different rash. Oh, okay. Yours isn't rashness. Yours is just rashy. Yeah. Anyway, good old flashy. Ten-year-old boy, fourth uh, car stolen in six weeks. And he had the nerve to cut off his his foot monitor, his leg monitor. Wow. Scary stuff. What's happening to these kids nowadays? Maybe it's better to just let them have a cell phone. Maybe just ought to let them have a cell phone. (laughs) Anyway, hopefully you're not dealing with your own little flashy. Life's good, folks. Don't forget it. Uh, We're going to continue the journey in just a bit. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number three of the program. If you happen to have missed the first two hours of the show, boy, oh boy, did you miss joy. What a great, what a great uh setup we had. We talked a lot of technology today. We talked butter. We talked butter in Ohio. They've got a butter sculpture. We've talked about... The joys uh, of fairs. Uh, of, of fairs. By the way, this hour we're going to be talking about um, infidelity. Ooh, I'm it, sure there aren't any joys involved in that. Well, interestingly, everybody always laughs at these millennials. Even you zenials. Is that the word? Eusenials that laugh at millennials. Um, but what they're finding out is the older generations are having more affairs than ever, and the younger generations are having fewer affairs. You're a millennial. Wow. So don't laugh at a millennial because they're probably more faithful. Well, huh. they can't peel their eyes from their phones. That's probably it, too. We'll find out from a true blue expert. Dr. Brian Willoughby will be joining us talking about the romantic uh, partnerships and um, young adults, what's going on there. Hmm. It's, uh, it's a little different world they're living in. Many parents I talk to are frustrated, like, why won't these kids date? Why are they all waiting until they're 30 well, to just, get married? They just want to hang out. Yeah. Just want to hang out and I just spoke, do stuff. I spoke to about, uh, I don't know, 300 of them this Sunday, last Sunday, and – I'm telling you, that's one of the big things everyone's saying is they just like to hang out together. Everyone just hangs out. Nobody's pairing off and dating. How many of them, when you looked out over this group of kids, yeah. how many of them were on their phones? None of them. You're kidding. But they, it's because the speaker was ruggedly good looking and incredibly engaging. And they turned the Wi-Fi off in the building. so And yeah. they took their phones in baskets. Yeah. So Everybody pass your phone in. By the way, I've been on my own little health regimen I wanted to advise you guys of. Oh, boy. 
uh, there's this new ab workout called the cough. And hmm. when wow. you have an incessant cough, you work your abs right. into a frenzy. <coughs> here's uh, here's one of the spokespeople for the ab workout. She looks cough. great. Yeah, she's doing great. <coughs> Hillary Rodham Clinton. <coughs> Have you seen her abs, by the way? No, I have not. Ripped. Ripped after years of coughing like that. This is what I feel like. So I, my, you know, I even keep my wife up with my coughing. I think this is the regimen that also lost her the presidency, though. No, it is. Yeah. But, but that was because Russia. By the way, have you heard of the Russian cough? That's a whole other really? program. Wow. Yeah, it's really good. Um how does a Russian cough, Jeff? Uh, <laughs> Just on the spot. Here's exactly what it sounds like. <clears throat> That's good. Jeff lived in Russia. So many are like, Matt, why would you ask Jeff to tell us what a Russian cough sounds like? Because Jeff lived in Russia. Wow. When you, when you more hacking in... involved because yeah. a lot of people, most people, it seems, smoke there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. They and make them so cheap. The smokes? Yes. Or the people? Mm, no comment. Did um, when – so you lived there. When you lived there, was Donald Trump trying to get close with Putin? I don't think that was a thing that was back in 2002 to yeah, 2004. Probably not. The three uh, most common comments that I got, people knew I was from California, first of all. Why? Because so, of the tan? So the number one uh, comment I would get was, ah, Hotel California. They all were a huge fan of the Eagles Hotel California. Oh, cool. Well, the next one, since it was right during the Bush administration, I got a lot of comments on President Bush and hello, America. They called me the country. Hello, America. You sound like that actor, that that stand-up comedian, Yakov Smirnoff. Oh. Yeah, you sound like Yakov. And then the third one I got involved um, Arnold Schwarzenegger because he was the governor of California at the time. Oh, really? Okay, interesting. And then, of course, my name was Simpson, and they're huge Simpsons fans. Really? Wow. You just told us a lot about Russia. Mm Mm-hmm. They love Simpsons, Schwarzenegger, Bush, uh, Bush, not so much. And not so much Bush. (laughs) They used to oh when I was in Argentina in the eighties they th- they wondered if I was in the CIA. You have that look. Well, and I'm like, D- hold it. Do you really think if we were in the CIA, we would two of us would ride around on bikes all over your town, hide in plain sight? Like, is that you think you think we do that with sure. name tags? Yeah, we did have trench coats, by the way. Mm. Mm-hmm. London fogs. What better way to get into someone's home than trusting them? It's a think great... about it. <sighs> kind of scary yeah man well we'll bring up all that excitement today um plus of course it's uh ice cream sunday day this is the day that you get your ice cream sandwich sorry not sunday sandwich out oh i love a good ice cream i love a good ice cream roll how how many ice cream sandwiches songs did you find when you went looking for ice cream sandwiches not as many as i was hoping okay (laughs) I thought you made this up. I thought this was you. Okay. It's a great point. It's a good tip. You got to keep them frozen or they're no longer a sandwich. And you have to eat them very quickly. 
Do you? Yes. Or just slowly and just savor it? No. Uh, if, unless you want to puddle in your lap. Mm, no thanks. Um, so today we're going to be talking ice cream sandwiches. Also, we, we'll get to uh, what do you think about a, a woman named Felony who's then convicted of a felony? I mean, it's just pretty funny. Right? It's good for a headline. It's great for a headline. So we'll talk about that. Plus our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation, they'll be joining us. We'll find out uh, what's going to come up on their show at the top of the hour. And a hero story. All of that. Plus, of course, just um, I'll tell you more about my ab workout. I, I seem to be only working one part of my ab. My ab singular, by the way. I am the healthiest human ever known to man. Yeah. Hmm. You know what? I was feeling everyone kept saying, after your surgery, how do you feel without a gallbladder? I'm like, never better. Never better. And then I had this sinus attack, this hmm. sinus infection. It's horrible. And then hey, I come in every maybe day. Maybe if you have your sinuses removed. Ooh, no. No? Okay. Well. I've got some medicine I'd like you to try. Really? It's called Medi Honey. Really? Nah. Just coat it. Just just swallow it. Put it down your throat. Coat your throat with it. Mm. And uh, you won't have this issue anymore. Honey is one of the remedies for like a sore throat. Someday I'll tell you about a woman I met named Honey. Wow. Really? But it's not necessarily appropriate. You only ever hear that word anymore when you go to a restaurant and the waitress calls you honey. Yeah. Nobody calls you honey except the waitress. Why isn't it like a – it's always like a female, like mid-40s kind of waitress. It's not like a – it's not a male. What do you want, honey? That would be creepy. Would it? Well, if it sounds anything like what you just said, then yes. What can I get you, honey? Well, um, just a drink, I guess. Uh, we'll get to all that fun. It's um, this. We we may as well just do a commercial for Meta Honey now because I gave you some <laughs> Meta Honey because your leg is sloughing, sloughing and you because you slid and you got a, a a grass burn. I'm convinced that we might not have won that game had I not slid into third. Really? Yeah. No, but like really? Yeah. Why? I scored two of the four runs. Braggard. And we won four to two. I'm just saying. That's all I'm saying. That's really good. Okay. Um, let's get to the headlines with Terry South, see what he can score here. Terry, what's up? The U.S. Air Force tested an unarmed Minuteman three intercontinental ballistic missile early this morning in California. The missile launched from the Air Force's North Vanderburg Air Force Base, located 130 miles northwest of L.A., Air Force Global Strike Command Commander. That's a that's a title. Global for Strike you. Command Commander. Global Strike Command. I had a toy, Roger I believe, that. was called the Global Strike Command. But this is a guy, Michael Huff, 30, uh, 30th Air Wing Commander, said that the purpose of the ICBM launch was to validate and verify the effectiveness and readiness and accuracy of the weapons system. The Air it, Force said in a statement that the test was not a response to recent you know, issues this has with nothing to do with North Korea. No, this had to do just we're just testing, making sure it's awesome. We always test our awesome instruments, right? A global, what the the Air Force Global Strike Command, Global Strike Command over. It's a new toy for Christmas, Roger that. So just you know, they launched your rocket, and it was successful. Uh, you know what? When isn't it? Come on, it's America, right? A study has surprising finding about teenage drivers: the older the teen, the greater the risk on the road. 
Harvard Medical School professor oversaw the study, found that high school seniors are significantly more likely than younger teens to use their phone while driving. According Ah. to the study, 32% of seniors admitted using Snapchat behind the wheel. Compared to 19% of sophomores, seniors were likely more than freshman drivers to use music apps, 48% to 34%. GPS forty eight to forty one hmm. the freshman uh, from freshman drivers that may be the tendency for teenagers is that you start cautious and then you get more and more experience and if they feel more confident more powerful they may jump to risky behavior. Well, risky business. But are, are teens older teens less secure than their parents? I, I mean, because I see more parents doing this than kids. Once you gain confidence behind the wheel, you start taking risks because right. you're like, oh, "I'm good." I don't even I don't even put my shoes on anymore to drive. I'd put my shoes on while I'm driving. I like to put my shoes on at 80 miles an hour. Nice. Oh yeah, you see, it's a really fun game. You see parents applying makeup, reading books, waxing their legs, yeah. washing clothes. I've seen people putting in a load of wash, churning butter. Yeah, and the old-time washing, you know, with the grate and all that. uh Over a rock. Mm. Uh, Right after this morning's opening bell on Wall Street, Dow Jones Industrial Average topped 22,000 points for the first time ever. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Really? The the thing that's interesting about the economy and Wall Street is all the presidents want to take credit for it. They all run when it's bad. But, and honestly, nobody has control over this thing. It just happens the way the economy runs. Wrong. Thank you, Mr. Trump. It says the uh, roughly 0.2% overall surge was spurred by big games from Apple, which posted a 6% bump and optimism about the upcoming iPhone. Just saying. But, yeah. See, that's why it's ridiculous. The upcoming iPhone is just a phone. Just a phone. It'll be the same phone with something new. Right. New feature. Pretty soon they're going to come out with one because, you know, you don't need the cords on your headphones anymore. Pretty soon they're just going to come out with a phone that is just invisible. Like mm. he's just going to be up there and hold his hand out like this. Oh, yeah. Just an empty hand. They'll call it the palm. Yeah. Oh, they already had a palm. They did. Palm pilot. Different thing. And finally, uh, do you want to save planet Earth? Mm, yeah. If you feel like it, you could apply for NASA's Planetary Protection Officer job that's available ppl the ppl the national aeronautics and space administration otherwise known as nasa is currently looking for someone with secret security clearance to ensure alien life or organic constituent and biological contamination doesn't make its way back to earth in a spaceship wow more than that this person is responsible for the leadership of nasa's planetary protection capability maintenance of planetary protection policies and oversight of their implementation by NASA's space space flight missions. Could you read that sentence one more time? That's done. Candidates must have advanced knowledge of planetary protection. Planetary protection. Where do you get that knowledge? Is there a class? Yeah, you go to planetary protection RS. You you should have experience overseeing nationally significant space programs and have demonstrated skills and diplomacy that resulted in win-win solutions during extremely difficult and complex multilateral discussions. After all, protecting the planet is sure to be have different challenges. Hold on. Be How to... many people have this qualification? Yeah, I know. They're, they're like describing two people on the planet. Well, and you also have to ride the scrambler at the state fair about 10 times without throwing up. After having had some of that uh, cocoa butter. Yeah. It says requirements include frequent travel. Mm, of the course. Ar- the article asks, could that business trip include 
intergalactic travel. It is uh-huh. NASA. Oh, that's a great point. I do not want galactic miles. Says it's a lot of responsibility, which is why the job, com- job comes with a six-figure pay, 124000 to 187000 a year, depending on, you know, work experience. Do you know how many cars are showing up now at, like, Cape Canaveral? Guys with little, like, metal hats. Oh, yeah. Saying, I'm here for the PPC job. Right, I can do it. I can come to a win-win. <laughs> yeah. I'm totally willing to travel intergalactically. Do so regularly already. You must have shown response... You have to have experience in planet protection. I don't know where you get that kind of knowledge Video and games. experience. Maybe. Well, no, that's not real experience. I've protected so many planets. Really? Mm-hmm. But that's not... Neglecton. Hmm. Clankton. Clankton? Clankton. Where'd that come from? My mouth. Okay. So today we talked about recently Amazon, 50,000 jobs today that they're hiring for if you're near one of their fulfillment centers, one of their warehouses. So if you can't get the the planetary protection job, then you you can go to Amazon and work in their warehouse. Yeah, Amazon's available. Thank heavens for Amazon. I mean, would anybody even be reading a book if it wasn't for Amazon? There'd probably Hmm. still be bookstores to go buy a book at. What were those again? Yeah. Those old stores where people used to buy books? You could go actually purchase the book instead of, you know, mm. just look at your computer and go, eh, I'll take that one. I think they're building their next facility on Mars. So you could actually get both of these jobs. Go work. Oh, boy. Wouldn't that on be On Mars to at work? the Amazon facility. And then uh-huh. you also get your travel miles in, too. And then go work for NASA. This is a good life. We live at a very, I think, I think a wonderful time. To be alive. They'll probably have to get rid of the two-day shipping, though, if they open up that Mars facility. Yeah. That might take a couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, speaking of transit agencies, Philadelphia Area Transit Agency deals with station spiders. Oh, this is going to get you. The Philadelphia Area Transit Agency has a spider problem at one of the city stations. The Southeastern Pennsylvania Transit Authority has hired an exterminator to battle the bugs that keep dropping down onto waiting passengers at its station. A transit spokesman says the agency has also been cleaning light fixtures where a lot of spiders have been hiding. The station says it's noticing cleaning fixtures and fewer dead spiders at the station, but says a fair number of live spiders are still emerging at night to bug passengers like Adrian Hathaway. Hathaway says the spiders are really bad and that if you're sitting here not paying attention, they'll be in your face before you know it. Spiders. Stations. Scary. Emerging. Whew. That music. That was dramatic. I had no idea it was going to go that way. But once I felt the vibe of that music, I thought, I'm going to commit. And then we're going to have you committed. And then, yeah, 10 minutes later, we might get me committed. <sighs> Boy, could you think of anything worse than just a bunch of spiders crawling all over you? Yes. What? Oh, sliding into third base? Sliding into third and feeling like I have a bunch of spiders crawling all over my leg, but really it's just a burning, horrible, throbbing sensation. And that's just because of the lavender oil. 
put on your leg. Oh, sure, your leg smells like lavender, but it burns like fire. Anyway, Jeff's looking for uh, medicine, anything he can do to, to alleviate the pain in his leg. Um, I've given him already one fix, MetaHoney. I need to be back to sliding as soon as I possibly can because we've got a game tonight. You're not sliding tonight. I've got to. In fact, I'm going to make sure the good brethren at BYU Sports Nation make sure you don't slide. Maybe you shouldn't even be playing tonight. Maybe you ought to be home tending to the wounds. Wrong. Anyway, uh, up next, Brian Willoughby will be joining us. We're going to be talking about um, life uh, for and love, by the way, for the young adult generation. And uh, are, they, are they doing okay there? Do they need a little more guidance? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us today, Dr. Brian Willoughby. He's an associate professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University and uh, also is dedicated to studying and improving romantic relationships. He's done a lot of recent research on adolescence, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he wrote a new book, co-authored a book called The Marriage Paradox that's out in stores now as we speak. That's right. You're there. I'm there. You're there again. I, I You've can, done this before stop. and before, and you're yeah. doing it again. Uh, you're also an expert in dating, sexuality, cohabitation, marriage formation, and marital attitudes and beliefs. That's right. And we, we threw a, a crazy curveball at you, an article that we read about um, – it's weird. Older Americans are cheating more than ever. Mm-hmm. Younger Americans are cheating less than ever. Yeah. So, so the overall rate of infidelity has actually not changed very much. But we've started to notice that when you look at it by age, we do start to see this age difference where it's older so Americans weird. are cheating a little bit more and younger are cheating a little bit less. No. Okay. So is it – well, first of all, clarify a few things. It's, I hear that even like – even high school kids are actually less sexually active mm-hmm. – than their predecessors. Yep. There is a little bit of a trend suggesting that sexual activity rates have been decreasing in, in early adolescence. Now, that has to do something with cell phones. Yes. Yeah. What we're, what we're, one of the things that all of these things are pointing to is that the younger generation in many ways is starting to move away, not necessarily permanently, but from relationships in general. This isn't just a well, they're dating all the time, but they've just suddenly decided that they want to have safe sex yeah. or have less sex. They are disengaging at least a part of the, this pop, the younger population from real relationships. And a lot of it is technology-based. Right. A lot of it is there's so many options for me to do things on my own. I'm less reliant on needing to go find someone else. Oh, how I've weird I've got video games. That? I've got pornography. I've got my cell phone. You know, it's, it used to be that all of middle school and high school was figuring out wh- who's going to date who. That's right. Who's going to hook up with who because that's, that's all you had to talk about. But now it's like, no. But now it's, you know, I, I go in my room and binge watch a show on Netflix. and is I mean, you can almost see a lot of parents be like, oh, see, that's such great news, except right. they're not – they're avoiding relationships. Right. Yeah. So it might be great news when they're 15 and 16 and they're yeah. avoiding these, these potentially health uh, – these, these behaviors that are going to affect their health. But you're right. Once they're in their early 20s and now they have no dating experience and they're not interested in marriage – 
that does have larger societal ramifications. Unbelievable. So then we get into um, then we get into cheating. Right. So cheating, I guess, would mean that we're in some romantic relationship that's right. committed. That's right. But now we're finding out that older generations are cheating while younger ones are, are cheating more. Younger ones are cheating less. Mm-hmm. Help us break down that data. Right. So, so on the younger side, like we've been saying, part of the reason for, for this discrepancy is what you just said. To cheat, I have to be in a committed relationship. If you're not in one, and so if I'm not in it's one, not cheating. And so we know for a lot of the, the young adult, adolescent, young adult population, what has been drastically increasing in the last 20, 30 years is casual sex. Yeah. Hooking up friends with benefits, oftentimes where I'm not in one committed relationship, but I do have a lot of intimate encounters, but I'm not cheating on someone. Right, right. Right. So I'm, so don't I'm, get me wrong. I don't have to put on a survey that I'm cheating on someone. That's one side of it. On the other side, with the older generation, Part of where that shift has been has been with the generation now that is older, that's in their 50s and 60s now, um, and 70s, is the baby boomer generation. Yeah. And we talk about a lot of things associated with the baby boomer generation, but one of the things that they grew up in was the sexual revolution. Right. This, this small little period of time, about two decades in the 60s and 70s, where so much about intimacy and sexuality was changing. Our national attitudes about sexuality were becoming more permissive. The the pill was being introduced. Abortion was being introduced. And we know that this generation grew up with a very different mentality around sex and intimacy than their parents. And so now, as that group is aging and they're getting into, again, their 50s, 60s, and 70s, some of them have been married for 20 or 30 years, and maybe the marriage isn't as strong as it used to be. Hmm. A lot of them, because of the divorce boom that also happened in the 70s and 80s, are maybe on their second, maybe third marriage. Um, They're bringing a lot of those more permissive attitudes around intimacy and sexuality into the retirement home and into the later parts of their their age. Plus science now is – now there's – enhancement dr- or drugs that can now help right. you with being intimate if you've been dysfunctional later in life, exactly. longer in life. So now all of a sudden there's this this boon, I guess, going on in this, these retirement living centers. Okay. Yeah, exactly. We've, we've got the, the medication now that can take care of the biological restraints that used to be there. Unbelievable. And now we have, like I said, the attitudinal and kind of cultural shift that would, at least in, in a lot of that population, make it more acceptable. Do you see um, – how much of this younger generation's view has been scripted by older generations? So if you – I mean so is there a social dynamic here where we see the effects of divorce? We see these effects on our parents and grandparents. So it makes it harder our generation? Yeah. There's, there's a strong – what we call intergenerational transmission of, of some of these attitudes and behaviors. And a lot of young adults now and adolescents now, you're right, saw – their parents, their baby boomer parents, go through either divorce, maybe a couple divorces, um, or even for a lot of them, they didn't see their parents divorce, but they saw an unhealthy relationship. Mm. And they saw their parents try to work it out for the kids and try to kind of hold things together. Um, and they, they've told themselves, I, I, why would I want to do that? I just, why would I want to be in a relationship and yeah. a committed marriage where I saw my mom be miserable all the time, or I saw my parents divorce and I saw my, my parents struggle with finding enough you know, education or employment or whatever it might have been. Um, and that that's something that they're seeing. And actually that piece also is another piece of this puzzle about why the older generation is cheating more is we've seen this shift now for a lot of parents where they are trying to hold it together for the kids. Mm. And so the divorces that used to happen 
maybe 10, 15 years into a marriage, a lot of them are now waiting until they're 20, 25. Because oh, they think, well, we can get the kids into the college years, into young adulthood. Then we'll... And then we can finally leave and go yeah. have our fun. Oh, how weird is that? Yeah. But what, what I always tell my clients is you're, you're going to be – you're going to age and your kids will all be adults. And so be careful with anything you're doing because you're eventually going to not be judged by just your neighbors. You're going to be judged by your children. Right for what happened with mom and dad, for mm-hmm. what you did to your spouse. Is it – I mean talk about infidelity. Like statistically, if somebody's unfaithful, does it – is there any impact that that has on their ability to have a successful marriage next time? Yes. And and, and there is definitely – not necessarily that that means they're going to cheat again. You know, So a lot of people have this yeah, mentality, once a, once a cheater, always a cheater. And for some people, that might be true, although for most people, it's not. And and one of the things that people have to understand about infidelity is it's typically not this idea that I found this very attractive person of the opposite sex that I couldn't help myself. Right. It's not necessarily and usually not a physically based decision. It's usually an emotionally based one. Um, One of actually in the research, one of the best predictors of infidelity we have is what's called invalidation by your partner. which means I'm in a relationship, I'm in a marriage where I don't feel like my partner cares about me. And typically what can happen then is whether it's a coworker or someone I know, I talk to them and they validate me. Yeah, everyone else validates me. And and what that does is it starts to make me think, well, well, I'm happier around this person. And eventually that can lead to physical intimacy. Um, And and so so infidelity is oftentimes not just this, you know, I I found the most attractive partner. And so if I find someone more attractive – I'm going to go do it. Now, there is, though, this idea that once I have violated that kind of commitment, it can oftentimes, I think, be harder to then reestablish that commitment with another person. Especially with the same person? Is it harder to – if you violated the commitment with your wife by having an affair with somebody Mm -hmm. and you marry that person, it seems like you'd already be – Upside down, yeah. trust-wise. And, and again, not that I'm looking for another partner to cheat with, right. but simply the commitment. It's changed how I act around commitment in my life. Because huh. it's already happened once where I told someone, I'm going to be with you forever, and then I made a decision to not do that. And so so psychologically, we, we all do this process where we start to justify our own actions. Yeah. And so once I've done that once, it becomes a little bit easier. And again, it might not be around cheating. But it might be just around, you know, well, I'm more likely to end a relationship a second true, time or get huh. a divorce a second time, which we know is true. Yeah. Because this this idea of lifelong commitment, I've already kind of changed what that means. For That's me. why the people that don't necessarily get married, they may have kind of a, an overall view or about commitment or, par- or a paradigm about committing, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why cohabitating with somebody is not the same as – being committed in a right. marriage. Exactly. Is, is that's allowing me to have one foot out the door all the time. Okay. I can make this quick, quick escape. I've got my parachute ready yeah. to, to deploy. And we, we know that about cohabitation is that it sets up a riskier marriage because of those issues around commitment. So interesting. Interesting stuff. Dr. Brian Willoughby's his name. We'll take a break and come back, continue the discussion about uh, infidelity and also just relationships. What makes a healthy romantic relationship? That's all straight ahead. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Talk about good. BYU Radio. 
Welcome back, friends. Joining us is Dr. Brian Willoughby, an associate professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. You can also, if you go to his website, uh, drbrianwilloughby.com, drbrianwilloughby.com is a great place to just get all of his latest and greatest information, plus more information about his book, The Marriage Paradox. And uh, he's talking about um, with us today just about infidelity. There's some interesting studies from Gallup organization as well as some other data from Pew Research on attitudes and uh, changing attitudes about sex. Um, now, one of the things that was kind of shocking about the study is apparently infidelity isn't as taboo. That's right. As it once was. Yeah, it's one of the things we've we've seen over the last couple decades is that people are becoming more and more accepting of infidelity. It used to be this kind of universal. Well, yeah, it was so antisocial. Okay. This was yeah, it's antisocial. It's not good. And and now we're seeing a not most people, but a a, a growing minority, a significant minority, about twenty thirty percent of people now that say that they agree that infidelity might be okay in some situations. No, what I know, like like where. Well, the most common thing that people will say, and this goes back to this idea of individualism that we've embraced, we right. we believe that in a committed relationship and in a marriage, you should have the right to be happy all the time. I mean, it's about happy. You right. should be happy. Yeah. And so what people, a lot of people are now starting to believe is that if you're in a relationship that's not happy at all, and you're spending every day, every week sad and lonely, and your spouse isn't reciprocating anything to you or is withholding sex from you, and you find someone that makes you happy, and you happen to cheat on the way through your divorce. If you're happy, that that would be okay. That might be okay. It might oh, not be that on. bad. Really? That that's the most common thing that people will say. But like, so happiness becomes the high standard instead right. of like character, right? Integrity, yeah. Or or this greater societal good, and that that has been one of the other shifts we've seen is marriage for most people is no longer a societal good. It's not something you do. For other people, it's something that you do for you. Interesting. Yeah, it's that movement. It's the selfish view of marriage instead of the societal right. view. Yeah. One of the other kind of pieces of that too is there is – and this this is not a, a large proportion of people, but it is a growing proportion of people. There's more and more discussion now around this, what we call non-monogamy yeah. beliefs, which is this idea that particularly – and this is not an older generation. This is more of a younger generation saying that, well, I, I want to get married. And I want to have kids. And I want to have, you know, maybe that one partner. But who who in the world should be expected to have one sexual partner for 40 years? That's that's mm. not even realistic. Again, these are the kids that came through college or came through young adulthood with that friends with benefit, casual right. hookup kind of mentality. And And there's a growing proportion of those marriages now that are saying we're having an open marriage, which means I'm committed to one person and we're going to be in this marriage. But we're also understanding that every once in a while – one or both hmm. of us might decide to have another partner. And what they'll say is that as long as we're open and honest with each other, then it's okay. But So so I love everything about this one person, mm-hmm. but I'll, I need more when it comes to sex. Right. So why, why wouldn't it be – look, I only need one partner for sex, but I need six people to pay to make it so I can have the living I want. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's boring, it's, it, right? It's, 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 again, if it's, it's all about so personal weird, happiness right. and satisfaction, you know, it's, it's well, my one partner 
whether it's frequency or behavior, doesn't want to do all these things, and this person does. And, and again, we've got this consumer mentality right now, particularly in the young adult population, where if I want something, I go find it. And, and, and I it exists. Judge. I mean, there's going to be someone. Right. You might have to find them on Craigslist. Right. But they'll <laughs> exist. Right. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so tell us as a scholar and as a husband and as a relationship romantic mm-hmm. uh, scholar on romantic relationships, what's what's the downside to that paradigm? Well – It seems like it's going to backfire. Right. So it's – whenever I talk about intimacy in relation to infidelity, I always remind people that – Sex is not just a physical act. It's at least an emotional and, and a spiritual act, I think. Even yeah. if I'm not necessarily a religious person, I think there's there's a deeper bonding that happens. And I mean it's a it's a tool to create a human. Right. It's, yeah. So there's this incredible so there's obligation. A, and there's a biological component to yeah. that. You know, when we have sex with someone, when we have an orgasm, there's a there's a very real chemical Chemi- yeah, connector, connector yeah. That, that happens. And so to to try to ignore all those things and to pretend that if I if I'm intimate with another person, it's not going to affect the committed relationship I'm in. That there's not going to be yeah. jealousy and resentment and and some underlying tension. I think we're just fooling. Yeah, ourselves. you're naive. Yeah, and again, I think we're denying ourselves of a of a more fulfilling relationship that sometimes people don't even understand exists. When you f- form that long-term committed relationship with someone that, that you don't even necessarily like all the time, right. you're not happy all the time, but you've built something. There's something deeper there. There's a deeper type of joy and happiness and satisfaction that's not just about me. It's about what we've built right. together. Well, And it seems like there will be a day that y- it's going to be – it won't be about sex. Right. Yeah. Although as we've talked about earlier, yeah. in the time at home, it might be. But at the same <laughs> time – what these studies are not showing us is how happy are these people. Right. You know, if I'm 60 in the retirement home, you know, or, or just having multiple partners cheating on my wife, how happy am I? Yeah, right we now? probably have and, a and lot of other the issues. The research has consistently shown the people that are committed in a marital relationship, not doing these things, they live longer, they're happier, and they're more satisfied with their life at the end of the day. And life. they tend to even have more sex and yeah. even maybe better sex, mm-hmm. satisfying sex. Yeah. Holy cow, Brian, what's happening to this world? I don't know, but I like to study it. I know. You're doing a great job. Brian Willoughby is his name. Go to it, check out his website, drbrianwilloughby.com, and his new book, The uh, Marriage Paradox. It's out, uh, it's out there. You, you, it, we, we talked about it on the show, so if, if you weren't able to hear that, go look up Brian Willoughby and uh, on some of our old episodes, our own podcast on uh, iTunes and TuneIn. Good stuff there. Brian, thanks. We will take a break, come back, and... Uh, connect up with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show in just a minute. Well, to pick up our game a bit, uh, let's head down to the Headier Fair with uh, Spencer and Jason today. Hello, gentlemen. Oh, it's time for a closed mouth laugh with that music. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Matthew. Hello, children. How are you? Oh, great. Excellent. It's fun to see Jason running around today. Isn't it, though? (laughs) Shep's a hustler, man. He's a total hustler. And he runs on his toes. Have you noticed that? Tippy-toe guy? Tippy-toe runner. (laughs) It's because your calves are so 
strong. No, 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 no. There is. Uh, you do not know my disdain for leg day. So no, do you, oh really? Accurate. Hold on. There's a leg day. Exactly. Thank yeah, you, you, Matt. You're welcome. Thank you. I uh, I don't know that I've ever had a leg day. Exactly. I don't don't want to go there. Hey, um, are you playing a game tonight, Spencer? Unfortunately, I am being. Uh, required to hang out with our good friend Greg Rebel as he debuts his show behind the mic. Oh, so you're going to miss the game. So it's a good thing that I get to be with Greg and do that on BYU Radio live tonight with the, the voice of the Cougars. Bad thing is? I have to miss the game. But I'm confident that my team will take care of business tonight, and I will be there on Saturday morning. I think, I think Jeff's going to have to sit it out. His hey, leg's what? still giving him trouble. Okay, now I'm not so confident. He's dragging his leg everywhere he goes. Jeff. It's not pretty. Channel your inner Kurt Gibson, dude. Yeah. Let's go. He's a, He was a Dodger. 1988. I can't believe what I've just seen. <laughs> that was really good. About, don't you, Matt? Yeah, you, you were just... Um, you just had like a like a one man acting show there. The home run, the home run in the world series. He was channeling Jack Buck. Yes, Jack Buck, Joe Buck's dad, Jackie. Nah, I don't think he was ever Jackie. I think they called him Jackie Chan Buck. <laughs> I don't think so. He was the oh Jackie. There's a new Chan movie with Jackie Chan family. coming out. Is there? It looks really good. What's it called? I can't believe I just said that. But are yeah. you talking about Ninjago or not Ninjago? But that does look really funny. Or are you talking about the net job to Nutty by Nature? No, <laughs> it's where it's where Jackie Chan goes up against Pierce Brosnan. Ooh, yeah! It's like it's like uh, Jackie Chan versus Remington Steel. I'm excited about that. Hold on, now which part makes you excited? The Jackie Chan or the Remington? It just Steel? looked really good. I like how you went with Remington Steel and I not like to James go retro. Bond. The kids are all about retro. That's where I like to go. <laughs> oh man, Remington Steel! That was a great show. Absolutely. And do you remember that the mom from Everybody Loves Raymond was the secretary in that? Uh, no, but. Really? Doris Roberts was the secretary. Ah, uh, Doris. Remember that. <laughs> she was a great actress. Oh, Raymond. <laughs> my uh, my stepdad always said that that show could have easily been about me and my mom. <laughs> really? <laughs> like that was the joke. That's the joke in our family. Every time that comes on, it's like that's that's you two. That's you two living yeah. large. <laughs> yeah. We've had a few mentions of Remington Steel on BYU Sports Nation because. A guy named Remington Peck used to play yes. for BYU football. Okay, yeah, yeah. And every time I would talk to him, I'd be like, I just, I just think about Pierce Brosnan and Remington Steele. Remington. That's a great name, though. Remington. Isn't it, though? It's so, like, it's distinguished awesome. and, like, super tough. And your last name's Steele. I oh, mean, yeah. Like, it, it doesn't matter what your first name is. If your last name is Steele, like, there was a soccer player here locally. His name was Johnny Steele. And I'm like, if that's not the coolest name I have ever heard in my life, I don't well, know. Well, I is. mean, what if your name's like Rusty Steel? <laughs> I mean, that's, it loses a little bit of its edge. All right. Well, you've just proved my theory. Yeah. yeah then I just that. think about Mater from Cars. <laughs> Mater. I think Pierce Brosnan's also going to be in the Paddington sequel, Paddington Steel. <laughs> oh, that's a oh, that's a great book. Paddington, Paddington Steel. <laughs> um, you guys, you're still going to do your your show though, right? Yes, I mean, we are. Yes. Okay. So. What what are we going to be talking about other than It's a than very Remington? unique day. Yes. Why, why, why? Once a year, BYU football has picture day. Oh, boy. Okay. I Do you remember hate, picture day? I hate picture day. It's picture day for BYU football. It's kind of like the day. It's physicals day. It's the uh-huh. day you get the physical. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, we are celebrating in a way that only BYU Sports Nation can <laughs> with some BYU SN superlatives. So oh, wow. most likely to <laughs> just gems, okay? Featuring the BYU football players. We're also going to talk offense or defense. We've never talked about that before. I know. We're breaking Weird. ground with this discussion today. Yeah, yeah. Which do you expect to have the better season? Yeah. Mm. Offense or defense? Okay. Okay. okay, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, That's yeah, good. Yeah. That's a good show. Mm-hmm. That's a we, good show. And cutting two, edge. Uh-huh. We go two-on-two two with uh, a couple of very <laughs> outspoken offensive stars. Squally Canada, the number one running yeah. back, and Micah Simon, an emerging wide receiver target for Tanner Mangum. They have a funny relationship. You'll see it displayed during the show. And speaking of Greg Rubel, who, by the way, loved the movie Paddington. I'm oh, not kidding. Yeah. He really loved Did it. Did he? Okay. He, no, I'm not joking. This okay. is not a joke. He really liked that movie. Okay. Uh, he will be on the show today uh, to talk BYU football, BYU basketball, and then, as uh, Spencer mentioned, uh, to promote the debut of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel tonight. Boom. Boom. You roasted. Boy, that was a good – that's a great tease, you guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I – I just kind of want to stop my show right now and just start your show. Yes. Listen. All right. Three, three two, one. If there's one <laughs> thing that you that you partake of today, Matt, yeah. from BYU Sports Nation. Yeah, yeah. Let it let it be the yearbook photo segment. Okay. <laughs> I, I is is it your yearbook photo? No, no. We have discussed doing that at some point. Yes. This is strictly for the for the BYU football. Okay. Because I think that's great. Oh. Okay. I'm watching it, guys. Um, I'm locked and loaded. I'm ready. Uh, let me just go cough a little bit, and then I'll be there for you. You're, going, you're not going to want to miss it. Four and a half minutes. Oh, here. There. Just clearing, clearing my throat. Ah, yeah. Four and a half minutes. BYU Sports Nation. Hey, a uh, 22-year-old Oregon named Oregonian named Felony Hudson is accused of felony kidnapping, felony eluding, felony possession of a stolen vehicle, and several misdemeanors. After police pursued him across state lines, the Salem resident appeared Wednesday in court where he was charged with a total of three felonies and four misdemeanors. How convenient. His name is Felony. I think that we've got another story coming up later about a a woman named Miss Demeanor. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a great one. Um, Officers received a report Tuesday evening that a woman being held against her will inside a moving vehicle, according to Vancouver police. The driver later identified as Hudson was driving erratically, ran a red light. And after the chase that spanned several cities, his vehicle was eventually hit with a set of spike strips, causing the tire to deflate and leading to the end of the chase. Hudson, who has been convicted of at least four previous felonies, was taken into custody. And then Hudson, I believe he drove his car into the Hudson. Yeah. That's what ended the chase. Well, the Hudson, it was a long chase because this was in Oregon and then yeah. it ended up near the Hudson. Cross-country chase. Yeah. Felony Hudson convicted or charged now with three felonies and has already been sentenced historic uh, in the past for uh, some other felonies. So definitely earning his, his name. Interesting. Hmm. What do you, you know, where, where do we get these stories? That's crazy. We've learned a lot today. Uh, if you are bored, you can go to the Ohio State Fair where you can check out the high school. Um, the American Dairy Association has put together an Ohio High School Athletic Association tribute, including um, a really tall butter sculpture of a bottle of chocolate milk. 
made with brown cocoa. It's the first time they have colored the butter a brown color. Groundbreaking. Groundbreaking. And by the way, totally appetizing. 